G'day guys, it is The Coach here and we are back talking all things in excess and depravity. I couldn't think of a better person to continue the conversation. If you haven't caught it already, we had a talking slanesh with Russ Veal. We really looked at things at a slanesh keyword level, but we're going to double down. We're going to get into the master of depravity and I have got somebody who has been playing slanesh for a long time now. And I got to a point that at one of my events a few years ago in the old Slanesh book, you generated over 200 depravity points in a single game at my tournament. And then you beat it at a, a tournament a couple of months after that. Uh, it is Kieran from the Lords of Ruin, uh, one of my club mates, but more importantly, the DP master. G'day, Kieran. Welcome back to the channel. Hey, Anthony. How you going? It's good to be back. How do you call me Anthony? <laughs> oh, me that. Uh, oh. <laughs> but you've been playing Slanish for a while and um we've been in the, you know we've been talking about this show for a little bit and um I know you're a big fan of the Hedonites of Slanesh. I ran a one day a, a couple of uh, not long after this book dropped and mm. I allowed you to run it because I'm like I want to see what these guys do, you know, forget the FAQ. I want to try I want to see what Slanesh does. And you've been playing with this book for a little bit now. I think you mentioned offline, was it three or four events? Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I think it's four. I think it's four events. Yeah. Um, that- your one and three Hall of Heroes ones, I want to say. Cool. So, yeah, we've had a lot of one-day events kind of kicking off. Um, how have you found this book so far? I know um, the community seems rather mixed in, look, you know, it's not the old book. We get it. Hmm. Um, you know, locus has changed, depravity has changed, you've had mortals added to the book, you know, um, keepers of secrets don't uh, command point themselves and, you know, use their command ability. Things have changed. But talk to me about your journey from going from old book to new book. What have you learned? What have you found? And why do you keep persisting? Well, um, the main thing with this book is just, it's just more f- open it's more free yeah I, I always see slash just kind of like encouraging freedom and just do what you want and this book really lets you do that because the old book the way like summoning because summoning's kind of the main mechanic for slash the way summoning worked in the old book it was tied specifically to your heroes so in the old book i mean we all did it i did it we would all run you know multiple keepers of secrets all the big stuff you, you wouldn't spend much in your battle line you'd be running basically a hero hammer army this new book, Depravity has changed completely. Now everything generates it. And what's great about that is stuff you would have never seen people take at a competitive level in the old book, especially things like fiends. There's amazing fiend models that got released a few years back. Now you're going to see them a lot more. And you've got the mortal side of Slash being represented now. You've got so many new units, like what, like over 10 new units or something crazy the, add to this the, book. The book literally doubled. And then yeah. uh, to season for taste, they decided to add an extra two models coming soon. Uh, so depending on when you watch this show, the twins may or may not be out. But, yeah, they literally went from demons only to having mm. mortals as well. And um, I, I guess what's kind of cool is you're not forced to choose demon or mortal. You can have a bit of a, a bit of both, which I think is pretty exciting, as you said. Yeah, exactly. And, like, one of the things that drew me to Slanesh was um, the character Celeste. And Celeste's whole background is a kind of a union of mortals and demons. It's a mortal who became a demon prince with the help of a herald. And 
basically they lead a united force of demons and mortals. And it's like, in the old book, they had rules for that, but not the models. So it's just, yeah, let's run a whole bunch of demons with this character. Let's lead both, but there's only demons. But now you've got all these malls that they can lead around. It's like, as a person who loves Celeste, it's like dream come true. I love it. No, I, look, I dig it. You're right. Like, I, I got to play a bunch of Slanesh armies in the past, and I could name probably 90% of their list that have three minutes of, units of 10 battle line demon, demonettes. They would have a contorted epitome. They'd have two keepers of secrets, maybe a third, but normally they would summon the third. They were, you know, like, you could literally name almost the entire army, and there wasn't a lot of variety, and I think that kind of made the the experience just even worse. But talking to yourself, talking to Russ, uh, looking at my Discord and seeing the Slanesh list being uh, created, you're right. I'm seeing Blitzbarb Archers. I'm seeing Fiends. I'm seeing Hellstriders. I'm seeing, like, there are so many units that are, are available. And um, I think you're right. Like, when I look at the, the, the types of builds, you know, the Seeker Cavalcade, and even the Revelers or Supreme Saberites were probably the... Actually, you know what? Mo, actually, m- most people only kind of built the Supreme Saberites and, you know, kind of maybe tapped into some of the others. Now you're starting to see the, the you know, the Depraved Carnival, the Nobles of Excess. And um, I think from a, a list variety, uh, staying around in the army for longer, um, I think this new book is going to give you the tools to, to, to enjoy and kind of respond to the medal and not just force... Uh, locust down someone's throat and <laughs> make them smile. Uh, uh, um, yeah, the problem with the old book, like, just, yeah, just, if I'm running keepers all the time, I'm just, I'm not really having that much fun, and my opponent's not having much fun, because they're playing against the same thing over and over and over again, and yeah, the old locust was just like, oh, I make you fight last on, a, on this two-plus roll, and I get to fight twice before you get to fight me, and oh, my units fight you. And now it like rules have been changed in some cases for the best, some cases for the worst. Some cases it's like it seems like it's worse, but really it's just different. It's just the way you have to use is different. And um, keepers are like the best example of that, but they're still great. If someone tells you keepers are bad now, um, I think listen to them, but I disagree. I strongly disagree. I think they're still great. They're still a pivotal part, <coughs> pardon me, pivotal part of the army. And um, just, yeah, so many different ways to play now. So many different ways to expand. I think I think your point, and it was kind of talked about in, in the show with Russ as well, is um, you can't just pick up an old list from the first battle tome and cram it into the second one and make it work. I think you've got to really look at this with fresh eyes, use the experience from, from your, uh, your previous time, but look at this as a brand new experience to go, right. How do I make the most of my depravity of my locust? You know, what are the hosts that I want to tap into? What's my types of builds? Um, what are the units that I want to, even, even if this is your first time joining Slanesh, you know, what are the types of units that I want to build around and, um, what are the rules that synergize really well? But um, overall, I love I love the new models. I love um, Glutos. I, I brought it in for my my daughters of Cane Force, um, not as Glutos, but as a as a model. Um, but do you want to talk rules? Let's let's go through. I'd love to hear your and I know I know uh, Russ and I had a very robust conversation about the rules. So, um, but I do want your observations. I want to hear, um, how you're looking at these, uh, maybe as a, uh, list building tactic, um, how you're thinking about this on the tabletop. 
uh, or, or any of these even that important. And, um, you know, before, before I kind of go into, well, actually, you know what, like, let's just go straight into it. So the first one you're going to get is your host of Slanesh, which is essentially a sub-allegiance. You've got your three that are in the book, the invaders, the god seekers, the pretenders, and then you've got the three that are currently in Wrath of the Ever Chosen, the supplement from 2020. Kieran, when you looked at hosts of Slanesh, what's your take? Um, what do you like? And, um, yeah, like, give me your observations. So what kind of drew me to Slanesh um, is, like, Slask was a big part of it. Um, and just kind of a focus on heroes, but, like, obviously as the book got stale and stale, it was like, okay, enough hero hammer. But um, what was really cool was... Um, all the armies I play tend to play not with many CP, and that's what drew me to Invaders. Invaders is one of the quickest generating, like, command point factions, I think, in the game. It's crazy. But Other, um, other than, other than Gits. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll CP <laughs> you to the nine. Yeah. Uh, I th- yeah, I think you would have me beat as Gits. Um, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so invaders. I love the kind of thematically, just the way that um, you have like up to three generals, and they're kind of all vying for supremacy at the host. They they bicker with each other, and just the way that's kind of represented on the battlefield is really cool. But um, so I, I'm very much I'm an invaders boy. Um, Lurid Hayes, the kind of extension of invaders. Um, I've been dabbling in that too ever since Rafty Avatars came out, and that's a really fun alternative way to play invaders. I think. Not necessary, but it's a very good way to build your army. And then you kind of get the other two hosts, which I haven't played as much. I prefer my invaders, but they're kind of... All three hosts unlock kind of different ways of playing. Like, they're... It doesn't radically change how the army plays, I would say. But, like, kind of... Invaders has, like, a bit more of a focus on your heroes. Say, Godseekers, I think, is more of a focus on, like, your faster elements. It, like... And you're summoning. You get summoning a bit quicker in Godseekers, I find. And, and your summons are better. It's just a plus one to charge rolls from Godseekers. Like, that's great for summoned units. Um, and then Pretenders is kind of the opposite invaders. It's more of a focus on one hero. And that one hero, you know, is pretending to be Slanesh Reborn. They're going around saying, hey, follow me. And they're just this superpowered monster. And like, they're all cool kind of ways of building the army. And then, again, yeah, like Lurid Haze, Faultless Blade, Scarlet Cavalcade, they just kind of change how those three sub-factions work a bit and kind of um, just unlock new ways to play. So you can build the same Slanesh army, like the same list, change the allegiance, and it will play mostly the same, but with some really cool little differences that... Um, aren't obvious at first glance like um just pretend as like you have a hero that no one's going to want to fight invades you have all the cp in the world you can do whatever the hell you want with a god seekers you're just that much faster you know all this crazy stuff yeah so yeah that's that's cool that's good to know because i think when i pick up sometimes a battle tome you'll have one or two really good builds and one of them like, you know, Cities of Sigma, perfect example. I don't rate Greywater Fastness. I don't rate the Phoenician. Uh, they're the two ones I just, like, will never touch. But um, what you're saying is that you're you're currently thinking Invaders, Godseekers, Pretenders, as well as the, the Wrath of the Ever Chosen equivalents, all have their place right now in the Slanesh build. Yeah, I think they do, because they 
kind of reward different ways of playing. Like um, Invaders tends to be kind of you can play it really defensive or really aggressive. Godseek is very aggressive. Pretenders kind of a bit different. Like Pretenders kind of rewards big demon at blobs, so it, it even changes up your army selection a bit. Whereas Godseek is maybe more cavalry. Invaders, I, I love fiends and in invaders stuff like that. It's nice to see fiends starting to come up into lists. But Mm. um, you mentioned demonettes, and that's probably a nice segue into a rule that uh, probably really rewards the demonettes, which is the euphoric killers, where um, if you've got the unmodified hit roll being a six uh, for hedonite models, it inflicts two attacks. So really uh, building up towards the depravity generation. Mm. How do you think about about the uh, euphoric killers? Is this something that you build around and you start looking for um, for things that have got a lot of attacks that can trigger those sixes more consistently, or is this more of a nice to have in your lists? I see it. Um, it's a nice to have. Like I think people have done the mass. Um, ex- the exploding sixes that euphoric killers gives you it kind of maps out similarly to like having a plus one to hit. And when you have that, like, across an army where a lot of your attacks are already on the free up, like, it works out. Your army is doing quite a bit more damage than you would think at first glance. It's, like, I noticed the difference. If I was to run some of these units in, say, another allegiance, like, ally them in somewhere else, the damage, you notice the difference. Hmm. I think, I think the challenge, though, that I think about, and Kieran, you correct me if I'm wrong, but if you double down too much on euphoric killers and getting more and more and more attacks, the, the risk of losing the depravity when you start kind of removing people and battle shock and, um, and not being able to generate the depravity is almost like this, this pendulum where you want the extra attacks, but you don't want to go so much that there's overkill and you don't generate depravity. Is that, is that a consideration for yourself? Um, in a way, um, I kind of look at it as you don't want to take super big kill units unless, like, unless it's something you need to, like, if you need to wipe something off an objective, then I'll eat the depravity loss, you know, but, um, it, I think a lot of it, Slanesh units kind of work well in small size where you don't want to yeah, you kind of want to be trading. Like it's like a kind of grindy kind of playstyle, which is oh, when you think it's smash, that's not what you think. You think that's more of a Nurgle thing. But especially with the new models, like a lot of Slanesh stuff is really good at doing that where their their saves might not be great, but they have like all these like debuffs or extra rules um that help them kind of survive. And they do good damage, but maybe not as great as say like corn, but still good. And it can be like if you need to wipe something out, you've got the damage if you want to build into it. If you don't, if you want to play that kind of attrition, depravity style, I think it, it's perfectly good for that too. And I think that was the, the feedback in the, the other video was not to double down too much on, you know, big blocks of 30 demonettes, but rather, mm. you know, the multiple small units was probably a better style um, just, for, yeah, just for a number of reasons. Yeah, um, like... Demonettes are one of those units where, like, yeah, ten of them, um, they do decently. But like, yeah, w- once you get to twenty thirty, it's like they're really terrifying. When you get to that triple hits on the sixes, like, yeah, stuff really does just die. It, 
but yeah, it's, it just depends what you need, really. One of the biggest changes that people are a little bit struggling with or maybe don't see the value, I actually really like the new Locus. Um, I'm a big fan of the new Locus. Uh, look, if I picked up this book for the first time and I had no experience to the old Locus, I think this is pretty good, being able to uh, stop an opponent from um, piling in, um, especially like you know reducing the amount of attacks being thrown at me, uh, being able to pin somebody and do maximum damage from the side. Um, that can be quite powerful. How have you modified your behavior, your, your, your play style, your list building, when it comes to Locus? So the big thing is old Locus, the reason everyone hated it, I think Slash players included, was you could literally just push your big stompy Keeper's Secrets up right in the front and you did not care about positioning. You'd just be like, come at me, bro. And your opponent, if they weren't, like, say, they don't have much shooting or magic, they're a combat army, they'd be forced to go into it. Then your Keeper just goes, well, on a two-up, you strike last, I get to smack you twice and i'm a pretty big scary monster i'm probably just going to wipe you out before you get to do anything now you can't just go hey my keepers have this kind of safety net mechanic that just ensures they're going to get to fight they're always going to get to fight now if someone charges you they're going to be fighting before you so that's a big consideration like okay you have to actually pay attention to your positioning which in a game where positioning is king i i just find it, it, sure, it's not as good, but way more uh, challenging in the sense that you need to be thinking like you should. You shouldn't just be able to go like point and click. Yeah, I just shuffle my moles up and I win. Like no one likes that, really. No one likes that. I think one thing is really cool about this as well is um, there's been plenty of times where I've scored an objective uh, off my opponent through the piling process. You know, I've, jo- I've got a charge that's just enough. Uh, and I've been able to get more models onto the um, the objective through piling in. And this is going to help deny significantly people piling in, getting, a, getting an objective. And then, hmm. as you know, things like Keepers are very killy. So, um, or, you know, Sigvold or Glutos or whatever it hmm. might be. Um, I mean, the base of Glutos alone, you know, being able to like sit on that objective, deny so many bodies. And then if you can stop someone from piling in, then good luck to you. Yeah, especially because, like, even um, so, so many times people will make a charge and they'll get, like, one model in. And then they're going to be relying on their pylon to get everything else in. And then you just go, no, nah, none of that, please. And suddenly what looks like, say, an easy objective grab or an easy uh, kill for your opponent, all of a sudden it's not easy at all. It's probably not going to happen. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. Um, uh, there's another really funny thing. Like, if you're fighting someone who has double pylons, well, <laughs> they can't. They can't double pylon. They can't move at all. That yeah, rule's not going to uh, save them. Yeah, I mean, obviously, still things like your your bloodthirster that it's an in, 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 incessant rage bloodthirster that can pile in six, and your mm. sisters of slaughter are going to pass. They're obviously going to avoid this because it triggers before the uh, end of the charge yeah. phase, or it tr- triggers. Uh, before their abilities get triggered. But yep. for most people, they don't have a lot of responses. And yep. um... Yeah, exactly. And, like, there's also just waging... Uh, like, the thing to keep in mind, it's not so great if you're fighting, like, a monster. Like, against, no. like, big single models. Like, it's not going to make too much of a difference unless it's, like, they're going to try and pile around to hit something else. Like, 
In which like case, my like, Gargans. Like my Gargans, yeah. I just hit there go, cool story, bro. Like I've got three inch attacks. Like I couldn't yeah, care exactly. less. Exactly, yeah. It's like against monsters, not so great, but like against small units, like even just when you start combining it with other rules in the book is when it just starts, you really start to see just how good it is. Like um, for, speaking of six inch pile, and Slanesh has its own kind of way of doing that. They have a few units of their own, a battalion rule that can do that. And um, you can literally um set up these six inch pylons you can pile in you can locus a unit first then in your fight phase use a six inch pylon to pylon just outside of whatever unit you're tagging like outside of their weapon reach they can't hit you back but a lot of your units that can do the six inch pylons they have like a two or three inch range in their attacks they can attack them freely without any worry about counterattacking. and you can also use it to just go like yeah i'm i'm tagging you if you can't retreat and charge you stuck. Yeah, I, I think I think you you nailed it on the head a little bit earlier. That slanesh from a playstyle perspective used to be like hitting your opponent with a sledgehammer. You were just it didn't matter where you hit them. You just ran as as quick and hard as possible, and you just hit them with blunt force. Now there's a lot more niche. There's a lot more. You're you're almost taking out your opponent with a death of a thousand cuts. You're really thinking about positioning. You're really thinking about. Um, places to optimize like literally what you just said and maybe uh looking at things like locus maybe on units mm. as opposed to a big hero or if you are going to go for a big hero you need to do maximum damage early uh in order to re- reduce the amount of hits back mm. yeah and um just oh sorry you go no no please uh it's just um it's just um interesting with the locus and just the way the army plays now it's just like I'm tending to build, usually have one or two demon heroes in my list. Even like if I, an immortal theme list, I I really rate this rule very highly. Even if it doesn't appear as strong as it used to be, it's not so much about hey I have the safety net for a big monster. It's more I can kind of dictate how this game's going to play in like not an overwhelming way. Like it's just units fighting each other. But it's this cool little rule that you can kind of play all these neat little tricks around. It's no, really I like cool. it. No, I like it. You are you are playing much more like a scalpel now. That's how you're taking down your opponent um, as opposed to the sledgehammer. Final rule that I want to talk about before I get it quickly into the um, your faction terrain is depravity. How do you think about depravity? Because when I talked to Ross, I had mentioned, um, is depravity a trap? Like, do you build a list purely about generating as much depravity as possible and summoning a certain thing, you know, in the early game? Um, do you, is depravity a nice to have? And, you know, it's a consideration for late game summoning. How do you consider depravity? And um, are there things that maybe are a bit more attractive to summon than maybe other things? And again, I'm conscious of armies and opponents and what you need in the scenario, but like, what are your thoughts when it comes to depravity? Well, I think with depravity, I think, I don't think you should like build an army specifically like, okay, I need to summon X amount of points by X turn. I think you should treat it as what it is. It's like, it's a not. It's a really good addition. It's a good way to help you later in the game. It can help you win the objective game, which is what I think the real strength of Slanesh is: is the objective game. And it's something where I always kind. The way I've kind of looked at it is you want something that can generate it early from range, or that can get up right in your opponent's face quickly to generate in combat. Um, you, 
don't so much want to go like all in on it, but you, you want ways to get it early. Just as like kind of like an insurance. Like if I, a lot of the time I find I kind of need, I, I really want to summon, say, just 10 demonets just so I can snag an objective or do whatever, or maybe a cheap demon hero if I've um if I've lost some of my own ones on the board just to um just to help out like add extra wizards extra things you need um and it's it's just the way it works is just so different now obviously because you know it's not tied to your heroes it's tied to everything it's your opponent's (laughs) army it's your army so that's why like if you plan around it you could come up against an army that just goes like, well, I just wipe your units out anyway, or that just is happy to let its units run off or whatever. Like that kind of, you're not going to get much depravity from, you know, if you know what I mean. Well, it's and, interesting um, because now the, the Fane also allows you as a summoning point. So um, yeah. that was a really cool change. And, you know, when you were talking to me about depravity and how you're looking at depravity, that reminded me a lot of Nurgle. Um mm. Because I think initially in the old style book, I noticed a lot of Slanish players were were summoning early, almost like flesh eater courts. You summon up your um, hard hitting units first, as quick as possible, get that extra keeper, that extra block of you know demonets or whatever it might be, and use it in addition to those double keepers or whatever it might be, and hit that person uh, in turn two really hard. That was that was kind of how people like to do it. Now what you're seeing sounds more like what Nurgle does. They're generating slowly through the garden of Nurgle. When attrition starts to hit the battlefield and there are less bodies on the table um, or you're losing bodies or you're losing an objective, you can summon some bodies, a small hero, whatever you need towards the later end than what it used to be. Yeah. It's more of a toolbox mechanic than a straight, just I'm going to keep, replacing what i lose like you can't having played celeskin host especially um so knowing very much the intricacies of the old summoning new summoning is not as fast like i think even if you lean into it Mm. it just can't be as fast as it used to be and it's got the new hard cap of you can always summon one unit per turn Mm. so that's why i kind of feel like trying to go all in on like hey like i'm just gonna summon like it's not how you should approach it at all. But, like, big changes now is because you can summon from the Fane, you don't have to worry about, like, oh, I need this little hero just to make sure I can keep summoning. So often I would do things like chain summon to make sure I still had heroes to keep summoning, you know? Yeah. You don't have to worry about that anymore. You've got this kind of backup point that you can always summon from, unless, of course, your opponent blocks it. But, like, you know, that's, that's a whole other story entirely. I remember watching a tournament where Joel McGrath was um, playing Slanesh at the time. Um, we were down in like Bendigo. No, Bendigo, we're in um, Albury. And I remember watching um, Joel summon like four contorted epitomies just to have the daisy chaining and just to mm. make sure that as the battle went went on, he was still able to bring in units and bring in other, other heroes uh, or troops because of that ability. But we talked about the Fane and the Fane has had probably only one small change. It hasn't had a big change and it now allows you to summon from the Fane where previously it couldn't. Mm. How do you use the Fane? Just, I, I don't think we probably don't need to spend too much time on this one, but um, 
are you using it uh, aggressively, defensively? Are you looking at it for, like, near an objective to summon later? Uh, is it just throw the the artifact in and kind of move forward? Like how how do you think about this? I it's it's one of those things, and um, it's just I think it's matchup dependent. Like if I'm against an army where I don't think they're really going to get into my backfield, or at least get behind in the middle or something, like I, I am happy to put it a bit forward. If I am worried about it, I might put it a bit back, you know, and have something protecting it, like keeping enemies away from it. So I can summon from it but um generally if i've got like a little hero that's say happy to hang at the back like save it like an infernal and rapturous is a good example she's got a big aura like her main thing is she shoots and she has kind of an anti-magic bubble she um depending on like if you put your fane up aggressively she can sit near it she can stab herself in it get um plus on the hit every turn and that's another my change it saw was um now it's it gives you plus on the hit instead of rerolls to hit in some cases it's better oh, other yeah. cases worse um that's but right, yeah, yeah like I remember. yeah um but yeah for like a hero like that like i'm happy to just keep shanking themselves every turn just to get that extra depravity point from them just from taking a wound you know um other situations i kind of just leave it alone um like I might shoot if I think you're getting to combat that turn. I might shoot a hero, like have them, you know, plank themselves, go up. Um, fine enough. The artifacts I use are rarely the ones I want to throw in. So usually I'm not just sacrificing an artifact and just giving them a buff for the whole game. But that that's because I play invaders and you don't really have artifacts you want to lose. And in in some of the builds, I have seen people building around a battalion, not because they want the battalion, they just want the extra artifact because, um, you know, you can sacrifice uh, an artifact of power to the Fane, and if you do so, you get a buff. So um, on a 2+, plus, um, you're going to get a buff. So on a roll of a 1, it's a bit of a sad moment, but I've never had that happen. Um oh. When it happens, though. <laughs> but, uh, look, uh, look. All, all I can say is I'm really looking forward to as a Mega Gargant player smashing your fane. Uh, that's something I'm looking you. forward to. Well, I'm gonna get to it first. <laughs> so, um, so we're gonna talk about some of your lists, and you mentioned earlier that you know you can take your types of lists and put it into the other types of hosts, and you know, obviously, you, you know, you could build around it, but you know, that could be Godseeker, it could be our Pretenders, but why did you take invaders? And by the way, for anyone who's listening to the podcast, um, with invaders, you're going to get, you get two things, really. The third thing, I don't know. I didn't really rate the third part that the invaders host, the invaders hedonite host just had a minor adjustment of the Epicurean revelers and the cavalcade battalions. But maybe you've got it. Maybe you disagree with me there, but the two big things for me was obviously figurehead of the dark prince and the escalating havoc. So Mm -hmm. the figureheads of the dark prince allows you to have three generals instead of one. Um, One is always going to be the general, but um, there's some really interesting rules interactions when your generals are within 12 of each other. So it's all about incentivizing you to keep your generals away from each other as much as possible. Uh, and you're getting a depravity. No, no, it's a command point when, when they die. Um, and then the other thing is the escalating havoc. So you're getting additional depravity based on uh, positioning in um, your opponent's territory. So, mm-hmm. 
why invaders? What drew you to invaders? And um, how are some of these things being put into, as I mentioned, your list building? Yeah, um, well, so f- first up, um, the biggest reason was kind of a narrative reason. It was Celeste. Celeste is one of the big reasons I got drawn to Celeste. And Celeste is a very interesting war scroll, which we'll talk about a bit later. But basically, Celeste has this really amazing command ability that kind of makes all Sineshutes near him immune to battle shock for that turn. And the downside to it is they're a named character, but to use that command ability, they have to be the general. So outside of invaders, that would mean, say you're in Godseekers, you run Celeste, they have to be a general if you want to get use out of that command ability. And, you know, Godseekers has some amazing command traits. You don't want to be missing out on those, you know. Um, whereas in invaders, you know, have the free generals. So you can run a general, say, a Lord of Pain. They can have your command trait. That's cool. They're like your main general. You can have Celeste as another general. That means they get to use their command ability. Then you can have like a third general or just you can have the one or two generals if you want because it's up to three. Yeah. And that was one thing I learned. Like when you sent me your list, Kieran, I'm like, wait a second, shouldn't be. And we're going to go through two of Kieran's lists in a minute. But when Kieran sent me his list, his first list had three heroes in it, but two were the generals. I'm like, wait a second, don't you have to have three generals? And it's up to three. So, um, you know, like if you want to deactivate one of those abilities and you want to actually have two heroes buffing each other or being within 12, um, you don't have to make one of them a, a general, which um, I, I think that's actually a really cool rule. Yeah, ex- and um, where you'll see people really kind of, like, where that's really useful and helpful, that it's up to and not has to be free, is Keepers of Secrets. Keepers of Secrets have an amazing command ability that affects stuff holy than 12. Obviously, if they're a general and you got someone else that's a general, they're not going to be able to affect each other. Your Keeper won't be able to use it on that general. But Keepers in Invaders, you tend not to want it to be a general. You want it to be just normal hero just so they can freely go wherever they want and give the wonderful excess of violence wherever it's needed and that was one of the other changes between the old book and the new book is that the keeper of secrets can't buff itself um so that command ability has to be used on somebody else so that's where i predicted people might run two keepers of secrets like a tag team buffing each other or you're using the keeper as a buff to some other unit i know russ was talking about it with sigvold um Mm. but you know, Lord of Pain, whatever, whatever hero that you, you might want to buff. Yeah, exactly. And um, that's the other cool thing about the way it works because they all count as generals. So the hidden value of that is that means when they want to use, say, the generic communities like Inspiring Presence, normally Inspiring Presence is you pick a unit within six or immune to battle shock. With an in, when they're a general, it's holy than 12. And what Invaders lets you do, it lets you kind of spread that love further. So you're not going to have these feel-bad situations where you're like, oh, my hero's out by an inch. They're seven inches away from a shoot. I really need to stand firm, hold fast. Now it's like, nah, they're an invader's general. They're in 12. Cool. But you need to sit and put, you know? And that's the other thing about invaders uh, that also has to do with the generals. Each time one of your generals dies for the first time, that's just to do with something. That's the only reason for that wording. Um, it just, you get a command point. And that's for each one that dies. So you can have, say, if you have the one general, that one dies, you get a command point or two to three, you know, whatever. Um, Because Invaders is kind of the command point farm host, I like to call them. 
you have if you build it right and you're probably always going to build it this way competitively you're going to have command points um just like a fountain of command points you can have so many to do what you want where are you spending them? Because I'm. Are we talking about spending command points? Because you know a lot of things, especially if you're building demons, they got bravery ten. So mm-hmm. you know you're not unless you're going mortals. I don't remember the, the the bravery of mortals off the top of my head. I'm imagining it's like seven or eight or six at best. It's um, mostly six and seven, yeah. Right, because I imagine in a in a demon focused um, invaders. I'm probably spending my command points on re-rolling ones, re-rolling charges, maybe flat sixes, and then some of the the war scroll um, yeah. command abilities. But in, I guess in in a, a mortal list, you're probably going to have to think about inspiring presence that little bit more. That's something that people have probably never really been thinking about because again, demons are all bravery ten. Yeah, exactly. That is how I see it. Basically, like if I'm playing a mortal army, um, normally either. I want to play invaders specifically because I want to have enough CP that I can inspire stuff if I need to, or I want to be building around either Celestic or Gludos who basically solve your battle shock issues. But if I'm not building into mortals, it's like, okay, keepers. I want to be able to access the violence like two or three things a turn, maybe. Um, you know, um, there aren't many other command abilities in the army, funnily enough, um, like kind of on the demon side. But like, say, Gludos, Gludos command ability, I want to be using that every turn, you know? There's, and then, like, especially if you play Lurid Haze, Lurid Haze has its own unique command ability for invaders, which is amazing. You probably want to be using that every turn. It's like, you go from, oh, uh, I have to weigh up what I want to do to I can just do it. Yeah, that's, I don't have to worry about the cost. That's the big thing with, with my gits because my gits were generating like four or five to, uh, command points a turn. I'm like, if I need to run a six, if I need to re-roll, I don't have to think about, oh, what happens if I get double turned and I need to have a, a couple of command points to do X, Y, and Z. I could just be like, like I'm at the club, just like throwing around command points. Like I've had a few people, like a KO player come over, and go, do you want to borrow some command points? Just uh, trade me trade, you know, trade me a goat or something. Um <laughs> But you've got yourself your three generals. I think you made a really good point about even just in things like inspiring presence or mm. some of the other generic command abilities that extend the range. Extend, extend the range. Um, D- DP generation from is escalating havocs. Is that again a nice to have? Is this something that is just helping you get to some maybe some more of the the higher echelon type summoning? Or how do you find this coming into play? Um. I see it as a nice to have so much that in all of my tournament games so far, I have forgotten about it. <laughs> and I feel really bad for saying that. However, um, Russ made a really good point in your previous show. Like, Lurid Haze is a great way to kind of capitalize on this ability because this one requires you to have one or more of your generals in your opponent's territory, wholly within your opponent's territory. Depending on the battle plan, that can be like half the board. Mm. Or it can be like just the back corner or something, you know. Um, and where Lurid Haze shines, it goes, you can just ambush that hero at, or one of your heroes, at one of your generals, and you just go, yep, cool. Like the master's a great option because she's this tough little hero. It's like, if you don't deal with her, she's giving me a depravity point every turn. And then if you have all three of your generals, Holy of Enemy Territory, you get D3 points. Now, it that is specifically you need three. It's not because you can have up to three generals. It's not, you can have yeah. one and then, oh, I get D3 because it's all my generals. No, it is, you have to have three generals. 
And to be fair as well, it's it's a D three, so uh, it's it, there's there's always going to be the role of a one. Um, so you know, building a strategy around that, but it could be the difference between summoning something a little bit sexier or summoning later on after you burn your your first set of DP. So uh, again, probably nice to have, but not completely building around it. I will say, I the reason I feel really bad for forgetting it in all of my games is because I have been one DP off summoning, say, a keeper or thirty demonets in a bunch of those games. Well, maybe so, <laughs> maybe, maybe, so maybe my next. Maybe my next cat phrase would be, uh, don't forget your escalating havocs. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Karen, Karen, uh, Karen. Get, get yourself a token. But yep. let's talk lists. Let's talk your first list. And uh, as true to the name, we've said that Kieran is going to focus more on the Hedonites of Slanish, where Russ focused more on the Slanish keyword across your uh, Slaves to Darkness and anywhere else that you might be able to get yourself the Slanish keyword. Um, but the, the first list that you've built is around the Nobles of Excess Battalion. So uh, I'll read out the list and you can put some of this into theory for me, especially why you would choose certain things. So um, first off, you got yourself the Lord of Pain, which is one of your generals, got the command trait of Glory Hog and the artifact of the Rod of Misrule, Rule, the Rod of Misrule. You got yourself the Keeper of Secrets with the Sinistrous Hand, the Artifact of the Icon of the Infinite Excess, and the Spell of the Progny of Damnation. You've got yourself Celeste, which is also a General. So you've got two Generals. Keeper is not the third General. The Keeper is um, is not a General. And the uh, Celeste also has the Born, the Born of Damnation um, spell. Then you've got yourself 11 Bliss Barb Archers. I didn't realize it came in 11s. I thought it were in 10, but you've got 11 Bliss Barb Archers. you got yourself 10 Twin Souls, 10 Twin Souls, 5 Pain Bringers, 5 Pain Bringers. Um, the Twin Souls and the Pain Bringers, correct me if I'm wrong, are wrapped up in the Nobles of Excess Battalion, coming in at 1970 with that free CP from the Nobles. So... I haven't played against the Twin Souls and I haven't played against the Painbringers. I've read the War Scrolls, mm. but I've actually had no practical experience. Talk to me through this list. Talk to me why you've built around Celeste and friends. All right. So the thing I love more, like the most with the new range of mortals are the Painbringers and the Twin Souls. Like the Slick Blades and stuff like that, they're really cool. But what really drew me with those mortals, what really got me like super excited was the pain breeze and the twin souls. So basically this army is what I want to run. It's what I would really want to run. It's all things that I think are just super cool. But also I think it's an army that's people are going to underestimate quite a bit. So starting off, you got a lot of pain. Lord of pains is decent little fighty hero. He's got a good profile. He's a decent little beat stick. He's got, but what's kind of cool about him, though, um, he's got this cool little rule where he reflects mortal wounds back on a 5-plus every time he, like, loses a wound in melee. So, just for example, I've killed an entire Varangard, just one one Varangard, not a whole unit, but, like, just the Lord of Pain just kind of hitting him back, basically, just through mortal wounds, which is, like, that's cool. But the other thing he does, the, the two main things he does, number one, he makes the Simbarash and the Myrmidash battle line. So especially um, when it comes to like this current general's handbook, there's a lot of missions that 
give you like bonus points for a battle line unit capturing objective. Or there's some missions yes. where only battle line units can capture an objective. And you have these infantry units that they're they're tough, they're fighty, but um, they're normally not battle line. And the Lord of Pain, you can make him a general, make some battle line. Now, as far as I know with invaders, what that means is because he has to be a general, your your general to unlock him as battle line. I think with invaders, I'm not sure, I might be wrong, but I think what that means, he doesn't have to be like the main general with a command trait to make them battle line. You could just run him as one of your three generals and he would make them battle line. It, it kind of in the same way that like Celeste doesn't have to be like, is one of the generals, so they get to use their command ability as a general. Kind of a similar thing. And the other thing the Lord of Pain does, he gives mortal heat knights through his command ability. He gives that unit reroll all hit rolls. Now, that's a great ability. Now, you might be thinking, okay, Simbaresh get that every so often. Simbaresh have this weird rule where basically they'll have it one turn, they won't have it the next turn, and they'll have it. But it's great for in those off turns. This command ability gives you those rerolls and those off turns, but then it's really good also on the Myrmidesh. And that's kind of the thing I want to say, like this army, people will be surprised by it because those little five-man Myrmidesh units, Myrmidesh have, you so you have euphoric killers. You do extra hits on sixes to hit. But then in combat, um, they're on the to wound roll. They have a roll that lets them do a mortal wound in addition to a normal wound on a six to wound. So you have these guys that do two attacks each. They're freeze and freeze. Mice on rend. There's a good profile. They have exploding sixes, both extra attacks and doing mortals in addition to the attack. And like when you start stacking reroll buffs on them, all of a sudden, your little five-man unit of Myrmidash, this unassuming little five-man unit, like, oh, they look cool, but they don't look that nasty. All of a sudden, this little five-man unit can just really start tearing stuff up. And that's, like, there's other ways to get rerolls in the eye, which we'll get to. Um, I was going to say, I'm sure you're going to tap into the Nobles of Excess. Um, and I think one thing that's really interesting about Nobles of Excess is the language says it's rerolling wound rolls. So it's not even re-roll failed wound rolls. So if you really want to fish for sixes with those pain bringers and you really want to get more wound rolls, because I think, what do you wound on? You're wounding on, uh, normally wounding on threes. Yeah. So, you you know, if you you want to fish for sixes and just try to get as many of those additional mortal wounds out. Yeah, and it also means um, you're not worried about modifiers. There's not many mice on the wound modifiers in the game. Sonash has one of them, for example, but... um, it's it's just a nice little but it, reroll always always better than real failed because yeah exactly if I'm finding someone's got like a two up rollable save or like they ignores random as a two up save then they go like the Luminef spirits of the mountain when they get buffed in your metrica stuff like that um, and a buffed arcane you know whatever with mystic shield um, these guys you can just go okay all right I'm not going to hurt you too much with my normal attacks I'm just going to fish for sixes I'm going to reroll fish for sixes and um, just in general, though, just those little five-man units, I, I've, I've tested them. When they're re-rolling all hit rolls, re-rolling all wound rolls, they really just put on the hurt. And it's this little five-man unit that, again, your opponent's not going to expect it. And um, the good thing is, you've got that... It's tied to a command ability to re-roll the hits from the lower pain side of command ability, but you get a lot of command points in this army. Basically... 
is so the Lord of Pain has the Rodimus rule. Every turn, you roll dice in each of your turns on a one. Uh, your opponent steals a command. Well, not steals, but they get a command point. It's like, oh, that sucks. But any other roll, you're either getting one command point on a two to five or D3 command points on a roll of a six. So you can see that you're getting a command point every turn just from you know playing the game. You're yeah. getting... You're, usually getting an, a, another command point turn from this rod. It's like they really start to stack up. And then you chuck his command trait on top, Glory Hog. So this is one of the reasons why, because um, some people might look at this list and say, why isn't Lurid Haze? Glory Hog is probably the main reason. Glory Hog basically is, if an enemy is destroyed in the fight phase, it's your fight phase or your opponent's, you get a command point at the end of the fight phase. It's It's one per, it's not one per unit, it's just, one it's just one, as long as one or more, yeah. Um, yeah. It's you get a free CV. Yeah, but like if you think about it, this like with how nasty this army is in combat, because that that's what's built around almost exclusively. You um, you're gonna rack up command points super quick. You're probably looking at you'll get free command points on your turn, and one your opponent's turn, like pretty reliably once you're in combat, and then before you're in combat. Pardon me, sorry. You're looking at two a turn. And then also, like, if your Lord of Pain dies, well, you lose out in your CP farm, but he's giving you another command point when he dies. It's kind of like a little ha-ha. And same deal, if Celeste dies, another command point. So you're getting so many command points, you're not going to know what to deal to do with them half the time. But that means you're always going to have command points free for Celeste's command ability. Which, because this army is all mortals, you you really want that community because the Bliss Barbs are Bravery 6, the Simbarash oh. and the Murdish Bravery 7. Yeah, I was going to say, because you got because it, it sounds like you might be almost at the point where you've got too many command points and maybe, you know, you do start to question the the Glory Hog or the Rod of Misrule. But to your point, um, yes, you're attacking command abilities. You might not need them as often, but... In the heat of the moment, when you've got those, you're right. The Bliss Bob Archers, you know, takes one one model out of the unit, and that's a battle shock test. Mm-hmm. Oh, actually, well, it's eleven, but you know, you get the point, right? Like, yeah. Um, or you know, the the Twin Souls have a bravery of seven. Um, they're they're two wins a piece. The the Twin Souls and the and the Pain Bringers, and um, I really like the Pain Bringers shield that allows you to reroll save rolls in melee as well. So, yeah. you know, you're building yourself a quite a durable force, but you can't afford to lose. Um, any of these models to battle shock. So by having them up your sleeve, especially late game, and the fact that your generals are, your your heroes are counting as having an inspiring presence of 12 rather than 6, yeah. um, can make a big difference. Yeah. And um, the, the other thing is, um, we haven't gotten to it yet, there's a keeper in the list. So everything in the army is a heat knight. That means they can all benefit from excess of violence. And that's kind of the other place you're going to be seeing all of those command points go. But yeah, like you're going to probably want to save a couple. You don't want to burn them all in one go. Like as someone who's gotten up to, I think I've had eight command points at one point um, with this new book, like in a game, I've just been like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to burn them. And it ended up paying off because I would lose my Rod and Misrule hero. And it's like, okay, I've got these command points saved up so I can inspire stuff when i can do the run roll of the six you know real charges when i really need them for like a summoned unit whatever um and yeah just you've got these models that are tough but there's not many of them this is not a high model count army like there's a lot of it's mostly battle line 
but it's low model count. It's very low model count, so you don't want anything running at all. Especially like those twin cells. Like that's a. I was just looking. Like I'm looking at your list, going like you don't have a lot, and you've got a lot of points tied up in that twin soul. That you know, that's what's that's that's almost for. That's almost what I'm paying for Phoenix Guard. Um, mm. like those points. So how are you getting the most out of your twin souls? Because that that is that is what that two units is is one third of your army. Yeah. So the thing with twin souls is just basically. They're a unit. They're, they're a weird unit. Um, so when mm. I first looked at them, I was like, "Oh, that's really cool. They get to just pick whether they have this five plus after save, or they can be rerolling hits, and that lasts until their next hero phase. So it, it works in your opponent's turn as well. It, it also means like, so you get double turned. You know, you, you keep that selection. But when I read, it's an alternating ability. Mm. So what happens is you get to pick the first whichever one you want up the first that first turn but then it swaps the next turn yeah and you don't have any say in it so say you want the reals to hit first turn um you're not getting that on your next turn um you're gonna have the five plus plus after saving your next turn so it's one of those units where you almost have to kind of plan out what you're doing like two turns in advance with this unit um you need to know okay when am i most likely to be like getting shot the hell or you know where am i going to get really stuck in the combat um where they're going to be taking a lot of damage all i hate that's when you want that five plus plus active so um you might want it say you might want it on turn one even though you're not going to get any use out of it but just to make sure you've got on turn three when you think, okay, that's when everything's kind of really going to get really chaotic. In I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you. My first assumption would be turn one, three, and five. I would have the ignoring wounds and mortal wounds on a five, and then yeah. turn two to four, I would go. Um, I would go for the re rolls um, yes. to hit, with the exception of maybe my opponent's taking first turn, they're getting close to me, or maybe the deployment zones are shorter than than normal, or there might be a situation. But I imagine my default would be yeah, one three five would be defensive, two yeah. four would be offensive. Yeah, especially because the they have the other effect is rails to hit. That's something they can get from a Lord of Pain. Mm. And that's where the Lord of Pain is generally going to be hanging around in this army. He's going to be hanging around with the Twin Souls. So when they have both, five plus both five, or just one? It depends. It, I, like, it depends on the situation because um, the thing is, like, Lord of Pain and Celeste are both generals. They can't use their commanders or command trait if they're within 12 of each other. So you have this... Celeste's bubble is 18 inches for the immune to battle shock, but... You kind of have to be careful of your position because, yeah, I've, if you're not careful, say you want Lord Pay near both of them, but that might mean you can't keep Celeste in range of both of them, you know. So it just depends. I probably wouldn't have them sometimes, like sometimes it depends on the mission, you know. Sometimes yeah, I would it, have them together, but like probably most of the time it would be Lord of Pain with one and Celeste with the other. Right, because I I was going to say the the thing that was about to come out of my mouth, and because the Nobles of Excess just requires three to six uh, of the Twin Souls or the Painbringers. So if the Painbringers, sorry, the Lord of Pain is so important to the the Painbringers or the Twin Souls, you could drop one of those units down to a, you know, you could drop one of those Painbringers and add an extra Lord of Pain, make it a general um, and have like these two independent units. But what you're saying is you use Celeste 
as a second lot of pain almost that you're supporting, you know, each of the twin soul units that you've got a lot of points into has a supporting character with it. Yeah, it's also because um, Lord of Pain's immortal, so he doesn't give you a locus, whereas Celeste mm. does, which is like that's always kind of a big consideration for me. I, like, you've got the Keeper there, but that means I can have the Keeper more close to the Lord of Pain. I can have a locus on that side. Celeste can sit with the other side, make them all immune to Battle Shock, and um, give them a locus. So I've got two sources of locus, one on each side if needed. Yeah, and. Well- um, Talk to me about the archers. Uh, like I'm very curious about the archers because I know when Slanesh got the uh, the ranged fire, people seem very excited. They seem super excited. Um, and, you know, there's, there's some interesting things. You know, you can run and shoot. I love that rule. I love the ability to run and shoot uh, in this list. And um, the fact that it comes with 11 models is, is fascinating to me. But you also get uh, plus one to the wound rolls um, while the homunculus, which I imagine is the leader in the unit, um is is in is there so uh so um the way bliss barbs work and the reason they're 11 so you get 10 archers and you've got i think they're called a high tempter who's like the leader archer oh, she gets okay. a, yeah yeah she, so she gets an extra shot for both so um then you get the 11th model is the homunculus who gives you that really cool little buff so what what you get bliss barbs are so yeah first up they are expensive like you could compare them to range it from our army and go like oh they're you know they're quite expensive and they're quite fragile because they're only a six up save they're very six up range. armor save yeah. they range 18 so they're not lumineth archers no. um they don't ignore line of sight like lumineth archers um like my my handgun is in my empire army or my free guild army are coming like 100 points yeah. so so like i'm looking at this going yeah that is expensive that's yeah, the, the thing with Bliss Bars, um, and what's cool about them, so two shots each is the big one, and they have mm. mice on rent. So that's um, not something you often see. And, like, it, it's fours and threes when you've got the homunculus light. But that's a pretty good profile for, like, a battle line ranged unit, you know? Um, they can do a surprising amount of damage. It's not to the point where, like, Oh, they can just snipe a hero from across the ball, like the Luminef archers. They can't like stand shoot like the free guild hand goes, but like as as damage dealers, they're quite decent. Um, and the other thing is like, and the main reason why I always run at least one unit of them in a Slanesh army specifically, it's a unit that puts out I think it's like twenty one shots a turn, just from eleven of them because you get the bonus shot on the leader. Yeah. Um, and what you do. With those 21 shots, you split fire them. You put them probably into, say, two separate enemy units. And that is generally, because they hit on fours, win on threes, and mice and rend, that's generally a very easy two depravity points a turn. And like as I, as I said earlier, you generally want a way to generate depravity early in your games just to kind of start building it up just in case maybe things go bad or whatever. Um, or just so you can get that turn free summon, like to get an objective or whatever. And Bliss Bars are critical to that. Like, the other ways to do it would be, like, with Endless Spells. So, like, Geminids yeah. is really long range, you know. But, yeah, Bliss Barbs, they're in your battle line slot. They're fast. They have a big threat range because they move six, they have an 18-inch range, but as you said, they can run shoot. So, yeah. all of a sudden, that range is more like 25 to 30 inches, that effective threat range. Is, and the fact that... Quite... 
And the fact that this particular build has a lot of CP, you can guarantee that six if you really need it or you want to, like, exactly. take an objective early or, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. And um, they're not... They don't have a way to, like... Oh, they do um, more wounds on unmodified fires like Sentinels. They don't basically bypass lookouts, sir, and last sight. But if there's a little... Plinky little support hero in range. The Bliss Barbs have quite good damage just from rate of fire. They have a good rend and uh, wound characteristic that they can quite easily take out support characters if they're in range. So that they're quite a little threatening unit. They're a unit that, like I, I tell people, they're always something you want to get rid of early against a Sinesh player because yeah, they will just rack up most of priority points super quickly, even just one unit. But you I, was just about, looking, like, yeah. I was just looking at the Lord of Pain going, oh, I wonder if the Lord of Pain's command ability could help the archers, but no, it's only in the combat phase. Because I was just thinking like being able to like fish for those those <laughs> um, those hits and ignoring lookouts so would obviously be very, very tasty, but not uh, no, that doesn't work. So the Lord of Pain is only command, uh, uh, combat phase. Yeah, exactly. Um, the other thing I kind of want to get into is just Celesque. So, mm. Celesque is interesting. Now, in all my games playing Slanesh, I played a lot of tournament games with Slanesh. I think I've had... No, actually, none of my opponents have had any idea what Celeste does. Celeste is not something you see very often. It's one of those models that people aren't going to... They kind of will go, oh, that's the model that does the double depravity thing or used to, you know? But it's quite an interesting little model and it's changed a lot in the new book so the thing with Celesque it's big thing with all the new model units Celesque has this amazing command ability the 80 inch inspiring presence essentially it's a bubble everything all your Slanesh units so that means it works on Beast of Chaos and Slaves of Dark to stuff and a Mark Slanesh as well um, every Slanesh unit holding 18 is immune to Battle Shock for that phase like that's amazing for Especially for that, the mortal build. For the mortal build, exactly. that's awesome. In the demon build, eh. Not, yeah, not so much. That's why, like, I, I like, I'm so happy because in the old rules, they, yeah, you mostly had demons to work with. It's like, they're probably 10 already. Like, this command ability isn't so great. But, yeah, now that you've got all these models and their bravery isn't great, it, like, that's not a good thing. But, like, it just means you get really great value out of this command ability now. Like, it's just shut up. It's one of those things I'm always considering now if I'm running a model list. And um, the, only, the only thing I'll call out that before you move on, Kieran, is it is wholly within 18. So yeah. um, just keep in mind. And, and this is probably where your build of having 10s and 5s as opposed to big blocks, um, yeah. it's going to be a lot easier to be within wholly within. And even just when you're removing models, just be mindful and keeping within the 18 bubble because um, as someone in, like in Cities of Sigma who has this bubble, um, being very conscious of where you pile in and, and where, where, you, where you're removing. Um, this is incredible value, especially in a mortal build. Yeah. And the other thing about Celeste, it's kind of, it's a weird gimmick rule. So Celeste has this rule where if you have an even number of Demon Hedon Knight and Mortal Hedon Knight units, Holy Event, I believe it's 18. Yeah, yeah um, it's 18. Yeah, all those units, including Celeste themselves, real ones to hit. Now, it's it's a weird rule because it specifically keys off Mortal Heat Knights, Demon Heat Knights, and it requires you to have even numbers of both Holy and 18. 
the thing with uh, with Celeste, so Celeste is a demon, but Celeste, you don't count Celeste. Basically, it's like I was. I was going to ask you, do you can you count yeah. Celeste? Because yeah, because the rule space states it's other demon knight, he, he, demon hate knights, and because there are demon hate knights, it says other demon hate knights. So you don't yeah. count them. Yeah. So I this list, it's harder to get the use out of it. But like as I said, if Celeste is on one flank, um, you could have situations where. Celeste is in, um, say, in range of the Keeper and maybe one of the units. Yeah, and I was like, going to say, sudden, yeah. All of a sudden, you have real ones to hit for free. Or when you start summoning stuff, if you summon stuff near Celeste, you can have the balance, get the balance that way. Um, and you can also, it's a cool rule because you can kind of build a list around, like, for example, if you place lots of Slaves of Darkness or Beasts of Chaos, they're not Hayden Knights. Slaves of Darkness are mortals, but they're not mortal Hayden Knights. This, yes. And say, Soul Grinders, they're demons, but they're not demon Hayden Knights. So you can game this real way. They're not going to get the real ones, but you can game the rule in a sense where you could have, say, Celeste, Fiends, and Gludos near each other, but then the other units near them are all Slaves of Darkness stuff, Marks and Ash, and that you know, Celeste, Gludos, Fiends, they'll be getting those real ones all the time until one of them dies or you summon something because those other units aren't contributing to it slash blocking it. That's just like, it's this neat little bonus. It used to be a command ability, but um, so like it's harder to use, but the value of the other command ability they've got shot way up. So, and you can kind of abuse it in a way, like you can position Celeste in a specific way to try and get benefit out of it, and, and so on and so forth. But the other thing is with Celeste, and the other reason why I would take it over of them over another Lord of Pain, for example, um, it's not just the Battleship community; it's because they're a really nasty little combat hero now. In the old rules, Celeste had this really wonky way of fighting. It basically, yeah, like that was stupid. Like you picked one of yeah. them to fight, and yep. then the other one fought later. Like it was stupid. Yeah, it, I've off the top of my head, what you do, you go, okay, I pick Sill to fight. You fight with Sill, and then at the end of the fight phase, Esk would fight, but they'd have rerolls to hit. But that was the thing. Like, oh, you know, one of them fights, the other one gets rerolls when they fight, but it's at the end of the fight phase, and um. It, it was also just, it wasn't great with, like, it, it was fine with the Locust, you know, because you, you made things fight last back then. But, like, if you wanted to double pile in from a Keeper, like, you would have to alternate back to Sill. Like, you'd have yeah, to just, remember it. Like, it's just, it, yeah. it's just accounting for no reason. Like, you'd literally have to remember, oh, I've got to attack with that. Yeah. It, it was a, a really wonky way of playing. Like, it was I thought stupid. it was cool. Yeah, it, it was, was cool, but dumb. It was dumb. But now they're just, one set of attacks, they fight at the same time, which is great. That you don't get the reals for the alternating activation, but I, I'm more than happy losing out on that. Because um now they have this new rule, which is as soon as an enemy model uh, enemy unit like rolls on a uh, a roll of a, uh, sorry, rolls a, a hit lot. roll for one against them, Celeste then adds plus one to their hit and wound rolls for the rest of that phase. Now, if you Celeste is on a really small base. It's quite a tall model, but they're on a really small base. And especially you combine it with the Locust, you can do stuff where like, you put them on the corner of a unit so they'll get some attacks at them, but not enough to kill them. You just kind of figure out where you want to go. Um, 
you wait for that unit to attack you. They roll one against you. And all of a sudden, Celeste goes, oh, I'm powered up. And when you add one to hit and wound rolls on those two profiles, all of a sudden, it's really nasty. And then, now because it's one activation, all of a sudden, a Keeper of Secrets using excess of violence on them gets really nasty. And this little 200-point hero starts smacking harder probably than a Keeper. Like, yeah. quite a bit harder. And, and, like, it's... If your opponent's not aware of it, it can... It's really nasty. And, I'd like, that's the fan for list. These units don't seem too nasty at first glance, but just you can buff the hell out of them to where even those little five minutes of Mermadash can just ruin someone's day. Yeah, and if you if you trigger the plus one to hit, plus one to wound, it means, you know, there's 12 attacks on the profile. There's four and eight. Um, and they're hitting either on th- fours, wounding on threes, or, or hitting on threes, wounding on fours. You're really bringing your profiles down to threes and twos. Throw a mm. command point, reroll ones to hit. You've got rend three, d3 damage, or rend one for one damage. There's some good, good, tasty stuff in there. And two other things that I'll call out is I love that it can run and charge, which is yep. very handy. But also the the spell, and while it goes off on a seven being able to choose an enemy within 18 inches um, and they can't use a command ability to their next turn. That is, if you get it off, that's nasty. That can be so powerful um, to deny opponents who are setting up a, a crazy synergy or they've worked out like you, you know, a really good combination between a unit and a hero, but it requires a hero to throw down that CP. Yeah, it's, it's one of the most powerful spells in the game, depending on the matchup and if you can get it off. Because it, it's, it's only an 18 inch range, but like Celeste is quite fast and Celeste is pretty aggressive. You're going to be getting up pretty quickly. But... There's no natural plus one to cast, though. So if there's yeah. arcane terrain, you're going for it. And if you're going against Techless, Lord of Change, like Seraphon, obviously yeah. that's out of the picture. But, um... but like one of the best examples, if you can get it off against, say, a Leeches and the Gash General. They can't summon their dead units back anymore. You know what I mean? Like, and that is like that is massive. That can win your game right there. Yeah. And like that's just one of the things Celeste does. It's one of the things Celeste is like just really unique. <sighs> like that brings to the table. I just had a light bulb moment. Yeah. I didn't the Deepkin when they go up for the turn three stack. Yeah, I, I thought about that. <sighs> oh yeah, you shut up, you get in range of alternatives, you just shut him off. And then they save all those command points? They always save up, like, four command points to throw down in turn three and just, like, completely go yep. crazy. Oh, and, they've, and they're not very good spellcasters. Nice. So if you can pull off that seven, oh, my God, you would break the hearts of, of Deepkin players, and I would not shed a tear. Um, <laughs> I would buy you a beer if you do that. That is just, uh, wow. Like, that's just, like, like, when you look at that, you go, oh, it's all right. But then... As I mentioned earlier, there's that bloodthirst that allows you to pile in six. Boom, can't do that. Yeah. Um, there are so many little command points that you just like, boom, can't do that if you get the seven. Um, yeah, like um, shutting off, say, mighty destroyers for Iron Jaws, potentially. Because that, that's a command ability, isn't it? I'm pretty uh, sure it might. I think it is. I, I'm pretty sure. It, I might be wrong, but like, just there's so many things yeah. in the game. If you can just shut them off like that, and like, yeah, it's. Unreliable. It's on a seven. No natural bonuses to cast. Um, a good wizard's probably going to stop it. But you get it off like, and like, but that's just Celeste's a toolbox. Gives you a locus. Gives you that. Gives you the big inspiring. Well, I mean the Bowshock bubble. 
it's a really nasty little combat hero. They're quite fast. They move eight inches. They can run charge. They're, ju- they're just... And they have a situational um, kind of real ones ability you can kind of plan around. Like, for 200 nine points... Nine yeah. wounds, four up armor save. It's a, it's a good. It's not a, it's not a keeper of secrets. You don't no. treat it like a keeper of secrets, but it's a, a really good support piece to your army. And should it find itself being required in combat, it it can do its fair share. Oh yeah, like if if they get hit with a one, and then they get possible on the hidden wound, like oh, it's it's not game over, man. But it's it's pretty fun, and yeah, it's just one of those things like. Your opponent's not going to expect it. No, no one plays against Celeste. No one, uh, no one I know has ever I've never seen played. Celeste. I'm the, I'm the only one it. that runs it. I yeah. painted one. I painted one. I was going <laughs> to use it for the uh, the ever chosen painting competition, but I've never used it. I've never painted. I've never even played against a Celeste. So yeah. um, that's a really cool shout out. And again, another thing maybe for people to revisit uh, and reconsider it in their army. The only thing I want to call out, Kieran, before we move to our second list is mm-hmm. that the Nobles of Excess, I did mention earlier that it is three to six units of uh, Pain Bringers or Twin Souls in any combination, and it's going to allow you to re-roll wound rolls for attacks with melee weapons um, if they made a charge move in the same turn. So it is a little bit dependent on requiring a charge. Um, however, it is going to lower your drops. You know, that's that's lowered your drops quite significantly and obviously getting yourself the extra command, uh, command, uh, command point and the artifact that you can, at, li- at minimum, throw into the fane or, at yeah. best, Well, speaking of done. that artifact, um, so the Keeper has the other artifact in this list. It's the Icon of Infinite Excess. And what this does, it's basically once per game, and this is why it's another one you can throw into the fane once you've used it. Um, once per game, at the start of the combat phase, you just trigger it, and I think it's all your units, whole even 12, all your like friendly slash he knight units, I think, whole even 12, get plus on the hit for that phase. And um, as we talked about, the Simbaresh and the Myrmidesh, they already hit quite hard. They hit really hard once you start back uh, stacking buffs on them. You know this one turn where if they charge, you got the Keeper and the Lord of Pain near them to give them real hit rolls. They'll have real charge rolls from their battalion. Uh, the Keeper can make them pile in twice. And then you add this plus on the hit in, it's like stuff's gonna die. Like mer- the Mermadash are gonna tear down anything. Um, you know, they, they do lots of mortal wounds, they got good rend. The Simbarash don't have rend, but and this is the reason why you run them in its 10, they have a two inch reach, they're gonna put out a buttload of attacks that all do damage too. And when those guys get plus on the hit, especially going from fours to hit to freeze here is a big deal, and then. You know, re-rolling everything potentially. That's just it's you can really supercharge the damage of every individual unit in this army. Not so much the archers, but the archers serve a different role. I think when you've got when you when you're taking units of ten and units of five, you've really got to extract the value because you don't have the big blocks of twenty or thirties. You don't have super durable. You really want to squeeze maximum value and maximum synergy. Yeah. Uh, I was just looking at the icon, and yeah, it is twelve inches. Um, and the other, the other icon, the other artifacts within Invaders, I'm not really a big fan of. Maybe the gem where you roll three d six against the, the 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 bravery and like like it's all right. Like I think the yeah. the two ones that you've chosen are probably the best ones in my in my opinion. Yeah, and like say um, this is why a lot of people go for Lurid Haze just as an example because 
Invaders icons aren't. Uh, sorry, Invaders artifacts aren't so great. Basically, outside of the rod, and then you got the icon, which kind of fits like a once per game like super buff strat. Um, you generally you don't mind losing out on those other artifacts having to take a mandatory one because as long as you get the rod of misrule, you'll need to take a battalion to get it. Yeah. Um, you're set. You're gone. You got your CP farm. You're happy. And that's why that's why some people just take the artifact just to chuck it into the fane and just move along. Yep. But exactly, is yeah. there anything any anything else you want to call out in this particular list? We've been pretty robust in talking about, I guess, the the Lord of Pain, the Keeper of Seeker. It's um, Celeste. Uh, I'm sure lots of people would be happy for me not calling it Celeski. Uh, I seem to trigger <laughs> people occasionally by calling. There's an e at the end. Uh, I didn't read. It doesn't say there's a silent e at the end. Don't judge me, people. Um, you know the archers, the twin souls, the pain bringers, the the battalion. Uh, you get yourself a you know maybe um, the not not quite enough to get yourself an interesting um, uh, endless spell, uh, but it could be enough to get yourself a triumph. There's a good chance that you'll get a triumph at 1970. Yeah, and um, like one thing I want to call out because I've seen a lot of people talking about them. Um, the Myrmidesh. So Myrmidesh are very comparable to Chaos Warriors in the sense that they're this unit that has a way of getting real saves. They have a decent profile. They're like they kind of like this stock standard kind of heavy infantry unit. But where I think people are underselling Myrmidesh, um, in a unit of five, just five. Your baseline minimum size unit, those five are always re-rolling saves in combat. That's a big deal. Because what that means, if you're, say you need five of them to like guard an objective and you're playing against some, an opponent that has units that like teleport and they like will charge and try and steal an objective of you. If you have five Chaos Warriors seeing an objective, I love Chaos Warriors, they're not going to do any damage back to them. And then the opponent will either go, okay, I have more moles than you. Um, I take the objective or they'll kill your Chaos Warriors. The Myrmidesh have real saves, which means... Most things that kind of do those teleporting tricks aren't going to kill them. And then the moment it's hit way harder than Chaos Warriors, that Rand, Euphoric Killers, and the Maws on Sixes, are yeah. like, it makes a giant, like, say Shadow Stalkers try and steal an objective from you, they'll more than likely steal it from Chaos Warriors. They're not going to seal it from Mermadesh. Like almost most, not. most things that are going to sideboard you, you know, whether it's ghouls, whether it's, you know, Ungor mm. Raiders, whether it is, you know, um, there's m- most things that are doing the teleport shenanigans, Canary, uh, Shadow Warriors, all these mm. things that do the teleports, the resummons, the setups, probably wouldn't, wouldn't take out a unit of five without additional help. So, yeah. um, yeah, that's a really good point. It's a really good point because I think the challenge of people who are probably watching this and um, they're thinking, you know, especially if they watch the Russ Veal show, is that Russ had the three units of five Chaos Warriors and the Chaos Warriors are 90 points and you're almost paying double, almost double, mm. to get yourself five Painbringers. So when you look at the value and you're looking at what do I get, and if I was to turn those two Painbringers, for example, into Chaos Warriors, yes, I know I wouldn't be able to take the Nobles of Excess, but just statistically that's giving me an extra... What's that? Um, Nice. So it's an extra 60. It's 120 points that could be going into getting yourself a a shard speaker. That could be getting myself into uh, maybe turning, um, whatever it might be. You know, that could be almost another unit of archers. You know what I mean? Like, but I think that's a really good point. It's a, yeah, it's an important consideration because, yeah, these units are pricey. um, But it, it just comes down to do you think they're worth it for what you want to do? If you want them to, 
just sit on a backfield objective, maybe not. But then there's sit there's again, as we talked about, those situations where, yeah, they are just gonna hold fast against something your opponent might send up. That would normally be like, yep, five chaos or whatever. Five Mermadash in cover, threat rollable save. Um, prob- they're probably not gonna shift. But then also just even just moving up the midfield, I mean, if you can, you know, just sit them near an objective, and man, they're just hard to shift. That little fine menu is so nasty. I, that's why I I love them. They've surprised me because when I first looked, I'm like, why would you take them over Chaos Warriors? They're so much more expensive. But then you you start to realize compared to those five man Chaos Warriors, if you have, if you don't mind spending the points extra on them, they do so much more. Like just okay. so much. Yeah, I think I think the lesson here, folks, is to give them a try. I think uh, yeah. I've seen a lot of people write off parts of this book and without actually playing with them. So I think um, what I'm hearing from Kieran is at least give them a look and and you know don't just look at points. Uh, speaking of unmovable, uh, let's talk about this second list, and uh, I love it because we have the big fat man himself. We have glucose or as better known glutos so um we are sticking to invaders host um actually just really quickly kieran that last list if you weren't going to take invaders um is there a second host that might work um as well or maybe complementary maybe pretenders if you weren't going to take invaders pretenders um well like it it would change it a bit because all of a sudden your keeper is like an extra major combat threat you wouldn't have the CP farm, um, but yeah, you, you would all of a sudden have this extra really big combat threat. Or if you went Godseekers, um, Nobles of Excess, you need to charge to get the buff. Godseekers gives you plus one to yeah. charge flat. That's a nice little synergy there, yeah. Yeah, but, of course it's not just picking it up and putting it in. I thought I'd just throw it in for anyone who yeah, was yeah. curious about the Godseeker or the Pretenders, at least. It would work, but I guess, as you said, uh, Godseekers encouraging the charge, which would work with the, with the Mimidash. Um, or the pretenders would um, would support something, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But let's talk list two. Let's talk list two. Um, guys, spoiler, I did say like 95, 98% of this list will be within Hedonites. Kieran has brought in one unit, so I think uh, bear with the bloke. He does have the Chaos Lord on Kakadrak, which is a general, got the Glory Hog and the Rod of Misrule. We know what some of those things do already. We do have the man that has like, some of the most interesting rules in this book. It's quite a lot of rules. Uh, Glutos himself, 400 points, the Lord of Gluttony, um, and you've taken the Dark Delusion to go with him. You've got yourself two units of 11 Bliss Barb Archers. You've got five Hell Striders. Uh, very interested to hear why you've taken Hell Striders. You've got six Fiends. You've got five units, so two units of five Slick Blade Seekers within the Seeker Cavalcade. So that's coming in at 2,000 points. Got yourself one extra command point. Um, where do you start? Let's, let's, mm-hmm. I, I, I want to talk about the Fat Man because I've got his War Scroll in front of me. So I'm like, I'm looking at this going, there's a lot. There's a lot of rules. There's a lot of turn dependent rules. You've got your, you know, your companion abilities. So if anyone who hasn't played with, uh, let's say, Catacross, for example, if you've never played with Catacross and this de- degrading, ability profile it's an interesting mix um you know double caster uh got itself a nice little command ability 18 wounds uh uh, like talk to me about (laughs) this 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 thing Uh, okay so there's a lot to unpack with glutus and there's a lot of reasons why he's very popular already in compared to slanesh list so number one 
Um, he, so we talked about Celestia. Celestia is a great way to help the balsh, the bravery issue of your mortals because they have low bravery scores. Like your slick blade seekers in this list, they're only bravery six. They're the elite cavalry of Smesh, but they're only bravery six. That's that's not great. What Gludos does, he has these stacking abilities, kind of like Doors of Cain, where you get this ability each round, and then um, you get a new one each round, but you keep the previous ones and so forth. So on round one, he gives plus on bravery to mortal he knights within six. So if you're playing against Nami, that can do quite a bit of damage to you, say from shooting, like so you have, you're playing against Ossiar catapults or whatnot, they might kill a few of your slick blades. Um, going from bravery six to bravery seven, I find makes a fairly big difference. Now, hopefully you would just be inspiring them if it's like if you're really worried, but it helps. That plus on bravery does actually make quite a bit of a difference. Um Especially because if you lose one model, you can't fail. Um, mm. Whereas at, when you're Brave 7, whereas if you're Brave 6, if you lose one model, you can fail. Uh, I, I'm really bad at rolling sixes on Battle Shock tests. Um, but then also, um, he, he gets new abilities each turn. Round 3, more Heat Knights win 6 of them, all of a sudden they're immune to Battle Shock. You don't even worry about it anymore. Uh, which round, big deal. And round two, round two gluco, glucose. Glutos can run and charge, which is yeah. cool. Yeah, um, and that's the thing. Glutos, he does have a degrading move value, but he mm. starts at an eight-inch move. Now, an eight-inch move, oh, it's not so fast. An eight-inch move with a run and charge, that's actually quite mobile, and Glutos is quite a decent melee combatant. So you have this ginormous model. He's on the same base as an Imperial Knight, for those wondering. Um, I don't know what the equivalent would be in AOS. I don't, I don't know. It's it's massive. Like I don't think I don't think there is actually because I bought this yeah. for my daughters of Cain and I converted it um, to be my Cauldron of Blood, and yep. without the two um, ogres, the, the 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 two guys like leading it from the front, I can fit it on a regular you know one twenty oval chariot base, but with those ogres, it's it's much longer. It's it's oh, surprising yeah. how long. Um, I don't, maybe the the black coach. If I think maybe the black coach has the same base. It does. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I think. But other, just, otherwise, yeah. there's not many, which is a pretty yeah. big base. Yeah, and the thing is, what's good about it because it's so wide and it's long and wide. So like, um, you have these auras, so the bow shock ones that you know help bravery issues for your mortals. Oh, like you can really spread out six inches. Doesn't seem like much when you're spreading it from a model that big. All of a sudden, that's quite a big zone. Mm. But uh, then, you know, turn four and turn five, he get he gets to swap out his law spell, um, and then he gets to cast. I think it's he gets to cast One an extra, extra spell, spell as well, in, and then he gets to reroll. Turn five, he can reroll all his casting spelling on binding attempts. You know, um, so those are nice. The main thing I look at is the run and charge and the bravery slash immune to battle shock stuff. Those are the main things for me because turn four or turn five. Um, yeah, it's it's quite late in the game, and if he's going to die, it's generally around turn four, turn five. He's going to bite the bullet. But um, the other thing, when he because he's on such a massive base, he has this incredible rule. I think it's really the rule that defines him the most. He makes every yes, every enemy unit within twelve inches of him is nice on the hit. Now, this on paper is nowhere near as good as it is. In practice, so let's compare it to Avalonor, the mountain spirit from Luminef. Avalonor is quite popular in Luminef because he has a similar ability. If your units, if models within twelve inches of him, enemy models within twelve inches of him, are nice on the hit. 
Gluidosis is units within 12 inches, not models. Mm. Units within 12 inches. So, and, it's not ho- and it's not wholly within either. Not wholly within. So it's just as long as you tag a unit, if you tag yes. one model within 12, boom, minus one. Yeah, so it could be a millimeter of a mega gargant's base, their mice on the head. It could be one clan rat out of 40 or one grot out of 60. They're all mice on the head. And you couple that with how big his base is, and it might not look so great on the table when you turn him sideways and they're running sideways. It might not make sense. But that is a ginormous bubble of mice on the hit. And it's an amazing defensive ability. Because 12 inches, there's a lot... Like, there's even, like, for melee, obviously, but there's a lot of shooting attacks in the game that are, like, 12 inches or less. Um, nasty ones, too, you know? And yeah, this will yeah that's, a, that's, a good, that's a good point because it's not melee-focused. It's, it's not just melee. subtract one to hit. So if you are within 12 inches of a shooting opponent, they, too, are going to be minus one to hit. That's a really good call-out. Uh, exactly. I, I would have I missed that. I would have just assumed it was combat-focused. Yeah, and this is why, like, when I first played Gludos, I was screening him because I was like, oh, I don't want to lose him. But when you realize he's really tanky and... Not only is he really tanky, but you want to push him in your opponent's face. Mm. Because yeah, if you're playing against a shooting army, you can push that mice onto them and all of a sudden, like like mice one is it's a big deal, like when you really think about it, especially on such a big area. And like you you think about it, like the Slanesh is kind of seen as quite fragile. Well, you have Glutus in the army, he's ridiculously tough and get into that. But then you have this mice on the hit aura. And the cool thing is, Slanesh has quite a few other ways to stack mice as to hit. So um, this is why I've got Fiends in the army. Fiends are this really cool unit um, that has all these nice little debuffs when you fight them in combat. If you're fighting Fiends in combat, you're mice on the hit. If you're fighting four or more Fiends in combat, like a unit of four or more, you're mice on the wound as well. Then you're Gludos. And you're trying to fight him, you're going to be minus two to hit and minus on the wound. And then you can stack other things like the Shard Speaker spell. That's another minus on the wound. You can stack Jaminids. That's another minus on the hit, minus on attack. All of a sudden, these fiends, oh, four wounds each five, say. It's not that so tough. Oh, now you're minus three to hit him, minus two to wound him. You can stack all these debuffs. And like you can do that for other units, obviously, but like it. It really adds up. It gets take, pretty take, crazy. Taking me back to taking me back to gets where I could get up to minus four. Obviously, yeah. six is still hit. One's always fail, but um, but you know, really being able to apply some serious debuffs um, mm. that kind of makes up for the fact that your armor saves aren't as good. But yeah. you know, with the debuffs and um, there's so many so many cool rules with the companions, the command ability, the yeah. magic. Um, you know, the having the priest on a on a two plus get you a five up uh damage prevention roll on wounds on mortal wounds um the 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 magics that spell is really tasty casting value of seven and you get to cast two spells a turn and you can halve someone's movement run and charge rolls like that's that's crazy well it ties into like what i kind of see slash slash can be very much a board control army that focuses on winning the objective game and a spell like that perfect for this um yeah you just pick a unit and like especially like like something like that your opponent might be going like oh yeah okay cool i'm pretty easily gonna get into where i need to be this turn my coming turn who has cast a spell on them all of a sudden that unit's not gonna be able to make it 
unless they even if they roll well for example then it's like okay your opponent's got to change their game plan or they've got to give up on that objective completely they were trying to gun for or that they're not going to be able to get into one of your units they want to get into um and then the good thing about glorious as we said two casts to unbind he also adds one to always casting the spelling and unbinding roles so he's quite a good wizard he's the best wizard in slanesh basically um it's not something the army normally has. Like, you've got the Contorpion that you re-roll casts, but generally, spell casting, spell unbinding in the army is not great. You can have a lot of them, but not quality ones. Gludos gives you a yeah. really good wizard to for that. And um, as well, like, yeah, he, he he's a nasty combat threat. He um, and we can't move away. We can't move away from Glutos without talking about his command ability. Oh yeah, I've just course. I've just reread that for the uh, again, and I, the, the potential of this is just cool. So uh, basically, um, you can use his command ability once per turn in the hero phase. If you do so, basically, if one of your hedonized units basically overkills a unit, so they do more damage than the amount of wounds in a unit uh, in the opponent's unit. Um, all of those remaining wounds that were meant to be allocated could go back into healing a Hedonite's unit, which the yeah. same unit. So that's like when you think about things like your your fiends, which have a large block of units, uh, a large block of mo- uh, wounds. Because um, what, your Bliss Barbs have one wound, your Seekers are twos? Uh, the Slick Blade Seekers have four wounds each as well. Four, okay, okay. So you, yeah. there's a chance of really regenerating. Can you, you can't regenerate those, it's just healing. It's just healing, yeah. yeah. But... um. Oh, it's amazing on... It's basically, it's built for big monsters because you can only use it once per turn. So mm. generally, um, you want to be careful where you use it. So normally you'll probably be using it on Gluidos, but um, they were, the Warhammer team were really good. They FAQ'd this because people were wondering about the wording. It's not overkill from, say, a single attack. It's overkill from that whole attack sequence. Mm. So you look at, say, Gluidos, it's like, okay, oh, you've got a it's million not, attacks. Um, yeah, it's not. Oh, one of those attacks does free damage. I overkilled you by two damage. I have yet to roll those t- other attacks. I just do get heal two wounds from overkill. No, it's you roll all your attacks. It's overkill from all of them. So it's great on Gludos, but also you can abuse it uh, or like playing around it by say having something else weaken or soften up what you're trying to fight, and then you have Gludos attack or something else attack. Um, and then they'll fight the weakened unit that, and they'll overkill it yeah. like really big because they've been softened up so much. And then you'll just heal all those wounds back. And as, as you said, Gludos has, um, he's got 18 wounds, a free up armor save. And on a two plus, he has a five plus plus uh, ignoring uh, damage. And that one's also interesting um, because per the wording, um, it lasts until your next hero phase. So per the wording, even if you lose that that companion, as long as you got that roll off, that ability, that 5++, you'll still have it until your next hero phase, even if you drop below that bracket. Yeah. Which is like, that's a cool little detail. So even if you lose her, you keep the 5++ to your next hero phase, but then you might just heal those wounds back by the time your next hero phase comes around, and then you can just do it again. It's a good, it's a good little overall piece. It's it's a little bit wizardy. It's a little bit combatty. Um, yeah. It reminds me a little bit like Catacross. Like yeah. Catacross is good in combat, but it's also a good support character. And 
Um, probably the only thing though is that you know some of these things are going to come in um, a little bit later in the game, as you mentioned. You know, the pluses to cast or the pluses to unbind. Unfortunately, there's no way to speed that up. No. So um, unless I've missed something, and I don't think there is, but um, like you, you really got to plan out. You know, round one, round two, round three, if you want to make the most. Yeah. Um, but this is this is a really good hero. I, I really yeah. like Glutos. And for four hundred points, like you do look at it, but it's a super tanky, eighteen wounds, plus the additional after save, plus the magic. Um the, the Wailing Great Blades does mortal wounds on sixes. Uh it's a it's an ultimate utility piece, especially with the large base size that it comes with. Yeah, like honestly, I was like like all the rules he has are great, but even just that mice on the hit bubble is just like yeah. it's amazing. But then um like his command ability, if you start pairing with stuff like Archeon, it gets really dumb really quickly. <laughs> That's a lot of points. That is a lot, a lot of points. points. Those two is a lot of points. A lot of points. But it's it's stuff like that where you get to a point where it's like some armies flat out would not be able to kill Archeon in that instance because normally like some armies, their way of killing Archeon, they're not going to kill him in one turn. They're going to slowly whittle him down. Whereas with Gluto's command ability, that just doesn't work. It doesn't. It's suddenly you can't do that. You he'll just heal all those wounds back you do to him because there's what, what, no limit to how many wounds he heals from the overkill. No, no. So one thing I'm really curious about, and it's the the pink elephant in the room, and that is the the Chaos Lord and Kakadrak. So that's coming in from the Slaves to Darkness book. That's not naturally in um, Hedonites. So why would you look outside of Hedonites to to tap into this Chaos Lord on Kakadrak? So the main thing for me is like, so that's another reason why Glue is so good. Having tough heroes as summon points, um, you can always summon from the Fane. But if you have a hero that can survive really well, and you can summon from them, you can summon upfield or wherever you need. That's really good. That really helps you, kind of um, like just do things your opponent might not expect. Summon stuff where you need them. Basically, the Karkadrak, the Castle on Karkadrak. If you compare him to say, a Herald on Exalted Chariot. The Karkadrak is just much tougher. doesn't do quite as much damage, but for what I want, I want a tough summoning point. I've only got the two heroes in this list. I want mm. someone that's really tough. And yeah, he's nine wounds, a three-up save, and he has a five-plus-plus specifically against mortal wounds. Whereas the Herald on Chariot's only ten wounds with a four-plus save. Like, the Karkadrak is quite hard to shift, and the other thing, Slanesh doesn't have a traditional like cavalry hero. The closest thing they've got are the chariots. And the chariots have the issue of being on big bases and just being really unwieldy. If you've ever played against them, they are super hard uh, or played with them. You know they're super hard to move around. They're super hard to just get into combat because they just overhang like crazy. And you get to a point where it's like, I really don't want to scratch your moles, but I need to get into, into combat, you know? <laughs> just trying to get him close, trying to get him within one inch is a nightmare. Karkadrak's on a cavalry base. He's small, which means he's also he's easier to hide if I need him to hide. Um, he's not quite as fast as Chariot. He moves one inch less, but like he moves nine inches. He can kind of keep up with my slick blades um, if I need him to. It would generally mean I'm running him. But a big thing is, like, what he's good for is he runs up and he's there to give inspiring presence to my faster elements, the army. 
that Gluedos might not be able to keep up with, or that I might not want Gluedos moving up that far because I want him to stay sit with the fiends or whatever. Um, the Karkadrak, because he's a general, or he is the general, really. Um, he's got a twelve-inch inspiring presence aura, like range, and like if he's not, he's probably about half as fast of a, as those slick blades. That twelve-inch bubble is enough. Um, I find. The, the the slick blades are very fast, and we've already talked about the Bliss Bob Archers. Look, it's interesting that you brought in the Kakadrak because, or Kakadrak, however you want to pronounce it, um, because you, I'm, normally I see this supporting things like Chaos Warrior, sorry, Chaos Knights, um, yeah. or your Varen Guard, or your um, Marauder Horsemen. Uh, but I guess it's playing a similar role and um, yeah. having, I, I guess, without the, the Chaos Lord on a mount, it does really leave you exposed that these, you know, like the Slick Blades move 14, um, the, you know, whether you take the Slick Blade Seekers or the Bliss Barb Archers, they're all moving, you know, quite fast. Um, the, the Fiends move relatively fast. So you'll very quickly move out of your, um, your, your support and your buff and your command ability ranges. So having something up your sleeve, um, I can see very being very valuable, especially because you've got fast Hellstriders, fast Fiends, you've got your, your Seekers, and even your, what was it, your Blitz Barb Archers can run and shoot. So even this then they can be fast. fast. This can yeah, be very fast. The whole army is really fast. Like, because, yeah, so in this list compared to the previous one, this list has two units of Bliss Barbs. The big difference there is I'm going to be generating even more depravity early, especially because I've got a really a better wizard in Gluteus. It's more likely I can get, like, a wound here and there with Arcane Bolt and so on. Um, but two units of Bliss Barbs uh, can easily focus fire down a hero if I need them to, whereas one unit can't quite do it. Like, like mathematically, they tend not... They can't quite finish a support hero off. Two units easily will do it. Or I do what I normally am doing, which is I'm pinging two units per Bliss Barb unit. I'm just racking up four depravity points of turns. Um, and I'm getting summons usually at as early as turn two because the main element of the army are the Slick Blade Seekers. Now, this is why the other new mortal units for Sunesh and they're probably rightly um, the favorite of most people. So Slick Blades are hyper fast right off the bat. They're a 14 inch move. Like, that's one of the highest move values in the game. Yeah, 14, they, four wounds, bravery six, five up armor safe. Yeah. So the four wounds and five up safe is interesting. So if you compare it to Hellstrays, Hellstrays are two wounds and a four up save. Yeah. So there's. In most instances, the Slick Blades are tougher, especially against like Mortal Wounds and High Rend, where the Hellstrides aren't going to get benefit from their save. So the Fire Up save doesn't look great, but that's four wounds apiece. Like, um, <laughs> they're not as easy to kill as you think. But the big thing with them, so they can real charges, but mm. where the real strength of Slanesh Cavalry is, is the Seeker Cavalcade Battalion. Um, this battalion, it, it consists of two to six. Hellstriders, Slick Blade Seekers, Seekers, um, Bliss Barb Seekers, and um, I think it's Nil the Free Seeker Chariots, something like that. And everything in the battalion uh, gets what's called the six inch piling. So they're eligible to pile into enemy units that are within six inches, and they can pile in up to six inches. Um, it's hard to explain, but in my opinion, it's one of the most powerful abilities in the game. 
it lets you so just for slick yeah talk, talk, talk to me like imagine imagine you and me yeah. were playing each other and you're going to try because you don't want to i feel bad gotcha moment here exactly so explain, explain to me as your opponent what what this means so first up the six inch piling means you don't have to charge your opponent normally you can't be within three inches of an enemy unit unless you charge them or they've charged you yep that's, so that's a general what, that's a general age of sigma rule so yeah. uh Unless you get brought in, like someone piles in, moves yeah. within three inches, and then you've draw, drawn me into combat. Yeah, exactly. And what the six-inch piling does, um, and being eligible to pile when you're within six it basically means you just negate that. What that really means is you can get to within six inches. You can still pile in. You don't have to charge. That means you can move. If you're in combat, say... Um, you get charged your opponent. So if you're in combat on your turn, you retreat. But and normally you can't retreat and charge, but the six inch pile and just lets you go, well, I'm within six, I can still pile in. And then you just pile back in and fight on your turn. The other thing, um, it's basically a way on your turn, it's a way of always fighting first. Because you don't have to charge your opponent. So you normally with fighting, you know. I, I pick a unit to fight, then you pick a unit to fight, I pick a unit to fight. With the Seeker Cavalcade with 6-inch pylon, you go, okay, I'm not charging, I'm not in range of you, so you can't attack me until I pile into you. And then once you piled in, you fight, then your opponent can pick that enemy unit to fight you. But yeah, for, for stuff stuff like Hellstrides, like in the old book, because Hellstrides were mostly what you saw in this battalion, Hellstrides don't do much damage. So this ability, it's like to basically have a way of fighting first on your turn because on your opponent said they'll charge you of course um it wasn't that strong it was useful because it, it let you go first essentially but when you combine a new book with these slick blade seekers these guys hit really hard they've got three attacks each with a two inch range freeze and freeze minus on one damage like that's good but they also do um sixes to hit are actually hits like all hayden knights and that stuff but sixes to wound, like the Myrmidesh, are a mortal wound in addition, in addition. to normal damage. Yeah. Now, that's what I found. If I say I charge, like this is just example. If I charge, sorry, if I don't charge, if I do my six-inch pawn to say a bunch of Iron Neff eels, those five slick blades will kill those eels like easily. Oftentimes just with their glaze, not even counting the mounts. And the mounts are pretty decent too, two attacks each, freeze and freeze. They, they do a lot of damage. When you have a way of basically saying, I'm guaranteed this unit will fight first before you can attack them back, uh, you can pulverize units. They're not going to be able to hit you back that hard. And that's what you want is Sinesh because your damage is great, but it's not enough where you're like, oh, I'm going to wipe out this big scary unit. You're going to like really badly cripple it. Then a few of them are going to hit you back, maybe kill one or do a wound or two because you're going to have, have them depleted. And then boom, you're getting the priority point off your own unit. And you're probably getting the priority point off the enemy unless they like run away from battle shock. And it's like this really powerful rule, or or you can just use it to go like, I just want to wipe something out without any counterplay. Be like, I'm going to charge in elsewhere with other units. I'm going to fight with them for, um, first. You know, say you got multiple really important combats because this happens a lot. I've got like, I really need to fight this unit over on this side, but I really need to fight this unit on that side. And you're like, oh, what do I, what do I pick? You know, it's really important whichever one you pick and you might lose the other unit that you didn't pick first. Slick Blades in a secret cavalcade just go like, ah, no, we're fine. We'll, we'll just wait our turn, and um, we're not going to get hit first. We're going to hit you first, no matter what. Mm. 
it also um, allows you, it also allows you to get around a lot of there's a lot of different rules within the game that activate at the start of the combat phase so to give you an example fanatics always fight first um the, in Stonehorn builds in um, the Beast Claw Raiders slash Ogre Moor tribes, Metal Cruncher does D3 mortal wounds at the start of the combat phase. So there's all these little things that you can get around because right now, let's say Metal Cruncher, Metal Cruncher at the start of combat, well, I'm not in combat. I, I think it's within within one or within three inches of the, uh, the Stonehorn, does D3 mortal wounds. Well, I'm not in combat yet. Metal Cruncher is over, then I pile in with my six inches and I can attack freely. Uh, yeah. And there are so many different rules um, that activate at the start or, you know, when you, at the end of the charge phase. Well, guess what? That's not happened. And in addition, should you fail the charge, let's say you really wanted to fail the charge. Even if you failed the charge, the fact that you've got the six inch pile in means that it's a guarantee. So you don't have to spend that command point uh, because you know that you can pile in unless there was a charge bonus that you're going to get that you really want. So there's, that's just a couple of ideas of why the six-inch pile-in is powerful. And another thing to your point, say you're playing at INF and it's round three. They're always fighting first. On your yeah. own turn, you just go, okay, I'm not charging you INF at a fighting first. I'm just a pile to you. And guess what? Because you fight first and I'm fighting at the normal stage, I'm piling into you from six inches away, you don't get the fight. Because you fight the start of fight phase, start of fight phase has gone by. Too bad. Yes. And you just go like, yep, cool. And there's also, it's not just about having that kind of fighting first thing and being able to retreat and essentially charge, just reposition, still get in the combat when you need them, which is really great. Uh, the other thing you can do, and this is specific to Slanesh, um, so you can do what's called the 2.9-inch tag. And um, what this is is basically... Normally, when you charge something, you have to finish within half an inch. You have to. Like, that's just that, the rules of the game. That, that's, that's a successful charge. Yeah. You have to be yeah. within half. With this six-inch pile-in, there's nothing saying you're not charging. It's just a pile-in. Your pile-in just has to be towards the closest enemy models, right? So you can, say, pile-in to the corner of, like, a big, scary blob of whatever. You can pile-in 2.9 inches away, and all of a sudden... Um, you're two point inches away. Even if that unit piles in, they might not get. They're not going to get much back at you because you've just piled in, say, one mod to the corner of the unit. You go, yep, cool. This unit's locked down. Especially if you're going second in the round, um, your opponent's not going to be able to get a double turn to be able to say retreat that unit to get them where they want because you're locking the unit down. That Correct. unit doesn't want to stay where they are. They want to be going off charging up the field to get to an objective. For example, you're just going nuts. You're here. You don't have to spend the turn retreating. You're not going to be able to charge. And if you're going second in a round, they can't get a double turn to go like, okay, I retreat my turn. I get the double turn roll. I'll be able to charge on my turn. You just you can keep doing it to them. You just keep going like, I'm going to keep trapping this unit and forcing it to be unable to charge. It could be like a big, scary blob of, say, Phoenix Guard. Phoenix Guard are a really scary blob. I, I don't want to fight Phoenix Guard. If I can keep them trapped where they're not charging stuff, they're like doing a few wounds a turn to my slick blades. It's like, that's a big, scary, expensive unit that's not doing as much as it normally would. And with Sinesh, this is where Sinesh specifically is interesting. You have the locus diversion. You can stop the unit piling in. And in you addition, have- in addition, Kieran, you've also got Glutos's magic spell, magic uh, spell, which would halve the movement, the run, and the charge roll. So even if they did try to get out, 
the, the, the likelihood of getting outside of three inches when you're halving a movement, you're halving a run and a charge roll, you've made life really difficult for them or you're forcing them to spend a command point just to get out. Yeah, like if you are playing against an army that's like, say it's a unit that moves only four inches, you harm the two inches. Um, there's every chance, especially if the way you pile your unit in, that they might not be able to get away from you. Or you just trap them. Yeah. They, they literally can't get away you know, unless you spend the command point to make it a six to guarantee they get out. Like, there's like all these little crazy things you can do. And like for Slick Blades and Hell Striders, they have lots of attacks that are either two inches or three inches. So you can use the Locus in conjunction with the six inch pile on the go more than two inches away. So out of reach of most shits, most shits only have a one inch range attack. And then you'll be able to do your attacks at them, but they're not going to be able to do anything back to you. Um, when it's their turn to fight because you've stopped them piling in with the locusts. So like it's just more ways to kind of just be like, I'm hitting you first. You're either not doing much to me. I'm trapping you. You're not doing anything to me. Like all these ways you can just kind of lean into it, play around it. This goes so- back to what we said right at the start of the show is that old Slanesh, if you're coming from the old book to the new book, you used to hit your opponent with a sledgehammer. Now you're using like a surgical knife. Like you are really... A lot of nuances, a little, a lot of tactics, um, a lot of. Uh, this is a thinking person's uh, army now, where before uh, it's like keepers go brr and they move forward, like yeah. like lol, I locust you, and if I fail, I've got the epitome to do it as well. But um, you don't have that crutch anymore, and you know, this is kind of why you suddenly see such diverse lists. Yeah, exactly, and like, um. <laughs> Let's yeah, get back on track. I, like, cool. So, like, we've talked a little bit about the techniques, and and for some people, it's kind of gone over their head. But I, I would encourage them to start playing around with the abilities to do a six inch, and see what it allows them to do. Whether it's just minimum getting their units, um, uh, reducing the amount of damage that goes into them because you're keeping them out of threat range until you want to go in, or we go into some of the nuanced tactics that you just shared. Um, the the six inch pile in is, is, is that's why uh, daughters players love um, sisters of slaughter because yeah. they've got a six inch pile in. Told you about fiends. So they, they're something that you don't see on the table very often, other than you've mentioned already the the minus one to hit. Um, is that um, all they bring to the table? I may do more. I just before we move, can I just say one more all thing? Right, all right, all right, just one more, one more. All okay. All right. So slick blades and hellstrides, fourteen inch move. Um, that's great, but. You combine that with invaders, you have tons of command points. You can guarantee that run rolls a six. That's a 20 inch move. Your six inch piling, that's a 26 inch threat range. This is why I made like this army can just go right across the board and just touch you and touch you in a very bad way. And just please, please you... don't, please don't. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like just it's Slanesh is fast. Like just, yeah. If you play against if you play against a Snash Army that has Slick Blade Seekers, just ask them do you have to seek a cavalcade because it makes a big difference. Not only to their threat range, because they can just 26 inches, that covers the board basically. It's a turn one charge. That's exactly. turn one. That's turn one charge. And if you leave yourself a gap, uh, if you're a well, I might as well talk to the Heat Knights players here. If you're a Heat Knights player and you've you've seen a um, a gap to get to one of those juicy support heroes, you've got the speed to maneuver and get around um, that core kind of shield, that unit that's kind of trying to protect them. And you can wrap around and get into that juicy target where normally most people would rely on flying to jump the screen or they'd have to wait a second turn and try to get around it. 
Yeah, exactly. And like, just when you combine that sheer insane mobility, that guaranteed, guaranteed twenty-six inch threat range for the cost of command point, guaranteed, with units that hit as hard as slick blades do, like it's it's really nasty. It's probably the nastiest thing Slamesh can do at the moment. Like, if you play against Slamesh, watch out. I'm telling you now. <laughs> well, luckily, most people listening to this probably are Slanish players. Um, <laughs> now can we talk fiends? Now yes, can we, we talk about fiends? Because I've never seen them on the table. Um, I know I was going to go to America uh, just before COVID hit, and I was going to play a guy called Warsaren who was going to run six fiends, and I was going to laugh at him. I'm like, lol, that's a meme list. But now they're actually not memes. They're actually quite a viable choice. Uh, I would love to talk to you about fans because the way they work now ties into like the meta changes to Smash. So, what changed? Quickly. Yeah, like, so, like let's talk. Let's watch what, what changed. Depravity. So in the old book, depravity was tied exclusively to your heroes. Yes. Now, fiends. Basically, you want fiends and units of six. I'll get into why. But generally, fiends were competing for like what they would do with keepers. Yeah. Keepers gave you depravity and the wizards and had the locust like the command ability like basically the way slanesh worked you you want to invest as much into heroes not so much into units but now because depravity has changed everything generates it so all of a sudden fiends actually have a role they're not just oh i would always take a keeper over them now fiends have this clearly defined role Compared to a keeper, for example, they're just a much scarier combat unit. That's the main thing. But what fiends do is like they're this tough unit. They fold the shooting. But I'll be up front. Shooting is kind of their bane. That's why you got to watch out for them. They're only four because, of, because they've got a five up armor safe. Is that why? Yeah. Four wounds, five up armor safe. They don't have quite the mobility. Slick blades are very fast, but still, like shooting is what you worry about. However, once they're in combat, they don't die not easily. Because fiends have like a musk around them and like various other things. Basically, you're always mice want to hit fiends in close combat. When there's four or more fiends in the unit, you're also mice want to wound them. And that's for all melee attacks targeting them. Now, mice want to hit is pretty common in the game, obviously. Um, we've got another mice want to hit in this list from Gludos. Mice mm. to hit against the unit, like, oh, say I go from three to four, three plus to hit to four plus to hit. Like, that's not such a big deal I can get around. But you go from three plus to hit to five plus to hit, that's a really big hit to how, like, a really big penalty to how your unit's attacking, like, how effective it is. Mice on the wound is not common at all in AOS. When you chuck mice on the hit or mice two to hit and a mice on the wound on top, like, it gets... Like, these things are really tough. They're really stupidly tough once they're in combat. People, to the point where, when I've got them near Gludos, and that's where you want them in this list, you always want fiends near Gludos. They don't have to be okay. bubble-wrapping him, you, but you want them near him. But you want, you want um, them within that, that range so they're supporting what. each other. Yeah, because they're natural fits with each other. That Mice 2 is great. That's a, bit, uh, that's a lot of points, though. Like, that's almost 800 points between that little power pair. Oh, yeah. But, like... The good thing is, because of how big Gludos' aura is, you know, it's the 12-inch. Only one model has to touch, or part of one model has to touch, and that whole enemy unit's minus one. Like, you've got a big coverage, so they, they don't have to be t- right next to each other. But um, and, that, the- and that overkill as well from Glutos' ability can actually then heal up those fiends and try to yeah. keep them above four. 
Yeah, because fiends don't have an icon like Demonets who are on the one they can get models back. You can't regenerate dead models with fiends. But at four words each, they're a good target for Glorious Commandly if you're not using it on him. Uh, and you're generally going to have the command points to just do that if you need to. So it's a good place to put it. And yeah, just psychologically, um, when I told people, okay, my fiends, you're going to be mice to hit them and mice on the wound them. My opponents often look at him and go like, okay, I actually don't want to charge them. But when those fiends are like sitting on an objective, like say an important objective, and it's like, you kind of have to charge them, but you don't want to because you know what's going to happen if you do charge them, which is it's going to bounce off them because you're not going to be able to get past those penalties and the fiends are just going to rip you back up. Fiends are, are quite a nasty combat. Unit. They're very interesting. So they have a lot of attacks. Um, most of their attacks on one inch, so they're not something I would put behind a screen. I would have them as a frontline unit, personally. Because when you master hit mice on the wound, like you're, you're tough enough, generally. Yeah. yeah. Um, so four attacks each, freeze and freeze, mice on one damage. You're like, oh, that's pretty... You know, but on sixes to wound, they do D3 damage. It comes back to Slanesh. Lots of on sixes do bonus stuff. Yeah. So this unit has incredible spike damage potential. Especially so hits, the six sixes to hits going to get you two attacks, and yeah. then sixes to wound again get you D3 uh, damage, damage instead of one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then you've got their stingers. So what? this this is a very cool little rule. Basically, the stinger is another attack. Freeze and freeze minus one. It's but its damage scales to the size of the opponent. So against a one wound mole, it's damage one. Uh, two to four wounds, it's damage D3. I think it's five plus wounds, it's damage D6. Oh, it's four scale. more. Four, no, that's four, four, or, it's more. four or more. Oh, there yeah, you go. It's, it's even better. Because there's quite a few things like, say, Slick Blades, for example, which are four wounds. There's a lot of units mm. that are four wounds. And then all of a sudden, you're doing D6 damage to them instead of just damage one. Even D3 damage per attack against like the lots of two emails like Stormcast, for example. Like yeah. but yeah, like against monsters, like this unit will tear monsters apart. Cause each one of them has a D6 damage attack, and then all the other attacks that can do, you know, explaining sixes that do bonus damage or extra hits. And they're quite a nasty unit. Their damage drops off a fair bit against one wound models, but if you're fighting mm more elite stuff or bigger stuff like it just scales up a lot so maybe and, don't throw them to battle line with one wound like just it's a bit of a waste no they're not great at chewing through hordes um yeah like they can they got ran they got a good profile but it's not their ideal target their ideal target is monsters well you, you're, um, you're hoping for that spike you want to get the spike and ideally if there's four wounds or more you get those d6 because if you spike that damage that could be a lot of like that's that's D six bad damage. Unfortunately, yeah. they're only rent one. So uh, if you yeah. are going monster hunting or you know things like that, those guys normally have a good armor save, especially characters. Yeah. But um, the, the the spike, especially when you start adding in any of the re rolls or start adding in the sixes, explode and do two attacks, um, could be they're, quite good. They basically embody what I want in a new Sonesh book list like which is i want a unit that's tough and that fights pretty well fiends don't look so tough first glance but they've got all these rules that help them look tougher than they are like less and less stuff um shooting is their bane that's always been the case but yeah these things in combat they're, they're really hard to shift and they do pretty good damage if you can summon a keeper in like they want the best units to pick for excess violence to start double piling they will 
tear most things apart pretty easily. It's just, and they have they have a gimmick rule. They, uh, I think it's subtract one so, from casting rolls for any the wizard the wizard rule. Yeah, subtract one yeah. from the casting with with wizards within twelve. So again, yeah. you're racing up the board. Um, if you see a wizard, especially like a hero wizard, right? Like they might be yeah. mounted. Um, you could be casting minus one to cast, plus spiking your damage, plus hopefully getting explosions, plus minus one to hit, maybe minus two with glutos. Yeah. Uh, those 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 bonuses start to stack up slowly. And- with Gludos, because Gludos is such a good wizard, if you're making your opponent minus one to cast, Gludos has his own plus one to like unbinding. It's like that's like a a plus two kind of difference there. Stopping command points, like this is so yeah. like there's so so much that you can do. And then, look, if you're really not a big fan of fiends, you you know that that um, seeker cavalcade can put chariots in instead, so you could reduce your drops even further and put that yeah. that almost four hundred points into a bunch of lawnmowers. So. Um, and I think that's the cool thing about these types of discussions is, you know, you choose what you want to choose. If you'd prefer to put uh, Blitz Barb Archers to be, maybe be the uh, the Blitz Barb Seekers and you want to have an all-mounted army, then you could absolutely kind of build around that type of super speed. But if you're yeah. like, oh, I really want some demonettes and, you know, maybe the, I don't really need the chip damage in the DP, but rather I want to get more bodies and something a bit more durable, then you could go demonettes and... It's whatever you want to bring to the table, but I'm liking how we're starting to connect some of the rules and some of the synergies together to make the most of our Hedonites of Slanesh book. And yeah. if you really need to, you can always dip, dip into Wrath of the Everchosen or any of the other Slanesh keyword stuff. And uh, we haven't talked about it today, but it's an option. Yeah. And that, that's what I love. That's the biggest thing about this book compared to your book. Your book was basically mono build. This new book, there's so many ways I could see people running it that will be strong and effective. Not just, oh, yeah, I can do all these cool formatic lists, but I'm going to do well. Like, no, you can do all these different lists that are going to, you know, go like, say, you're three and two, you're four and one. They're going to do pretty well if you know what you're doing. I do see this army being harder to play because, yeah, you can't just shove keepers in your opponent's face and just be like, come on. You can't do that anymore, but you got so many other ways to play this army. And, like, the big thing, when you're not running just free keepers, minimum battle line, a few other heroes, you're going to have a lot more mass on the table now. That's why, yeah, you're seeing fiends. You're seeing, you know, these new malls of slick blades. You're not seeing quite as many heroes. You're seeing more investment elsewhere in the army. Um, the army, I think, is better now. Not so much at killing the opponent, but winning the game at actually scoring the points, getting where it needs to be, you know, uh, stopping the enemy from doing what they want to do, like you know, like Cluedo's spell, Celeste's command ability, the new locus. It's not like this easy. Oh, you know, shuts a unit down. I get to fight twice. It's like all this stuff that affects like movement and stuff. It's stuff like, like just for example, in the old book, um, a lot of the time I would table my opponent, but say lose on the mission. Yeah. Uh, because they were just going to, because I wouldn't have the boys. I'm running free keepers, you know. In the new book, it's been the opposite. A lot of the time, I've been tabled, but I've still won on points, or I've been nearly tabled and won on points. It's just, it's a much different approach to the army. It's not like it's it's not weaker. When people say the army's weaker, I don't agree. I think it's just different. It's very yeah. different. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think I think. Um... Initially on paper, like if I was to pick up this book for the first time, like I did when I got the early copy review, the first thing I looked at was the points difference and most things went up in points and I'm like, oh, I'm getting less models on the table. So I'm potentially going to have a weaker army. 
And I think it's, it's, you know, when you look isolated at that point, you're right. But when you start looking at the completely different play style, when you look at all the new tools available uh, and you just think about your list a little bit differently, I think it is going to be harder to pilot. Uh, like this is a what, what you would call a fat medal. At a tournament, you'll probably win three games. You'll be somewhere between winning two games to four games at a tournament. And it's going to be up to matchups, your experience, your play style, your list design. Yeah. And that's a good place to be. That's where we want to be generally with our armies. Yeah, exactly. And like uh, another example, just the way I kind of see it, because you're not going to have like the total wounds in your army is probably going to be higher than before because you'll be running more stuff that's not just a hero. Yeah. So even for like matchups where like you're playing against a shooting army with Old Snesh, um, It'd be like, oh god, I really hope this one hero can survive. So yeah, I shoot the heroes and yeah, shoot the heroes and no summoning would would happen yeah. again. New book, it's like I can summon from the fame, but also my army is going to be overall tougher uh, because I'm going to have more bodies. I'm going to, you know, like my nobles list. It's all these bodies that can like real saves. It's lots of wounds. It's a lot more wounds and bodies than before. You're going to have an easier time contesting objectives, fine for those objectives. You have an easier time surviving um, in some cases. Like, you can't make stuff fight last, fight them twice, but your actual units, you're running units. You're not just running a bunch of heroes, you're running units. That's like, as the thing I think some people haven't quite grasped, I'm not just running this bunch of heroes and this couple health shrine units or whatever. I'm like, I'm running fiends, I'm running slick blades, I'm running an army. It's not um, Celeste's little group of whatever. It's an army. It's an actual army. That's the biggest change. I love it. I think what's really cool as well, and, you know, I'm going to ask one final question before we wrap up, Karen, is um, when I look at the list that you shared with me, and then I'm looking right now, um, uh, I'm looking at the battalions, you know, there's minor tweaks, and I can turn one of your lists into a depraved ca- uh, carnival. I can turn your lists into an exalted speed knights, um, even the Epicurean Ravelers. Like I can, with minor tweaks, I can change any of these lists to find a play style and a host that really works for me. So um, finding what works, and um, you're going to have plenty of options, which I think is wonderful. But the last question I have for you, and it's a bit of a fun question, is at my event you ran the Mega Gargan, so you brought yourself in a 500 piece of meat. Um, as an ally mercenary, what was your, because I would imagine like it was interesting, right? Because the mega gargant has no synergy with your army. So you're not going to get any of the heat and keywords, but it is 35 wounds of solid depravity meat. What was your experience bringing in the mega gargant to your list? So I'll say first up, um, I think the people I played against would agree. I didn't use it properly. Um, because that was kind of when I was really starting with this new book and I was like playing kind of a bit cautious. I wasn't quite sure how to use it. I wasn't being very aggressive. So I was thinking like, I've got a screen to see. I've never used a mega guy before. I'm like, should I be screening with C? He's like, no, no, this thing. And when I used it, started using it right towards the end of the tournament, I was like, yeah, okay. I see a really see the value of this thing, which is you just run up with it. It can be on a, probably on a flank. And you just go like, deal with it. It only counts as one model. It's not in Sons of BM at Allegiance yeah. where they count as 20 models or 30 or whatever. Um, 
it's only one model for objectives, so you're not gonna um, steal objectives from people like you normally with a Mega Gargant. But the difference is, you got this big monster that is extremely hard to kill, that does quite a bit of damage, that you can just send it something on a flank, and you you force your opponent to deal with it because if they don't, like you might not control that objective through model count, but you'll certainly wipe units off objectives, and it's kind of in that bracket where it's not going to die in one turn. It's going to do lots of damage, probably get the depra- because it has so many attacks. It can hit multiple units a turn. Like, yeah. it does more wounds on the charge and stuff. It has three-inch um, range as well, so you could be doing twos and threes, so you could be choosing and, and picking out things. Yep, so it's a great way to just... It's what it was there for, really, was just, yeah, depravity. And they're not. It's not going to die in one go. In most cases, it. Um, so you're probably going to get a couple of depravity points um, over the course of the game just from it taking wounds. Not even counting the damage it does. And yeah, it, it's like it, it's just this fun little distraction piece. And that's what another thing about new depravity. Old depravity was keyed, you know, only off your heroes. Now new depravity, it works on everything. It works on it's depending on what you take, anything you take. And it's same for your opponent. So that means you can ally stuff in that hurts your own stuff. You can get the property that way, like allying in Nurgle units. People are allying in like Plague Sensor Bearers and hurting really? their own units. Yeah. Um, oh. People are using Fomeroid Crushes from Slaves of Darkness because you can't mark them, but you can still ally them. I've seen um, some people talking about like Chaos Spawn and then getting the... Um... What's that stupid undead uh, wall? The uh, the, oh, the, the grave tide. The grave tide. Yeah. yeah, like having like one or two or three chaos uh, spawns, and then you hit them with this grave tide. It just keeps like tapping them for mortal wounds, and you're generating uh, <laughs> depravity from the wazoo. I think I think to the point that we were kind of calling out earlier is that you don't want to overinvest in depravity because, especially because you're going to summon one thing per turn. Um, it, it, it's not like the old book where it was just like get all the depravity early, set up for this uh, this ultimate sledgehammer, and then just like just you know just do a big dump. Um, yeah, it, it, it's it's funny the stuff you can do, but like I still think it's like you still want to focus on winning the game. Like summoning alone isn't going to win you the game if you don't have an army to win you the game. Like. Yeah. If you lose your whole army by turn two because you killed half of your own army with doing stupid crap, I mean, what what's summoning going to change for you, you know? No. Um, always, if you're looking at allying stuff in the Smash, I, like, it's kind of what you want it to do. Like, the Mega Giant was just, it's fast, it's tough. It's a big point sig, but it's a big threat my opponent has to deal with. Um yeah, it just it kind of depends what you want. And it's also just like, do you want something that eats the fire for you so that, say, your more important stuff like my glue dice? I don't want, say, 15 blood stalkers from Doors of Kane shooting at him. I want them shooting at that Mega Gargan because I'm confident yeah. they're not they're not going to kill him in one go. I'm confident um, he's going to live. He's going to get me some depravity points. And, like, that's value right there, you know? I don't, think, I don't think I've ever lost a Mega Gargan as in one one round. I think it's yeah. taken multiple rounds. But no, this has been this has been really insightful, Kieran. Is there anything anything any final things you want to cut? Like we've gone really deep on the units, and it's been great to look at the other things, like a whole bunch of the models, the Blue Bay, Blue Barb Archers. We've looked at you know 
uh, the Lord of Pain. We looked at Glutas. Um, and between this and the, the Rust show, I think we've got a really good span across the Hedonites book as well as a Slanish keyword. We've looked at Sigvolt. We've looked at Glutas. We've looked at, you know, the various heroes and the combinations uh, using Wrath of the Everchosen. Probably the only thing we haven't touched because we don't know just yet is the impacts of the two new um, twins. So we've got the new Keeper of Secret type models. Uh, we don't know what they look like, but uh, they might certainly change the way we think about lists and where they might slot in as we get more info. Um, I want to give a call out to, I think, the one unit that has, hasn't been discussed, which is Slangors. This, this is the unit that... Um, Perhaps deservedly, everyone is saying it's probably the worst shit in the book. I like this is the thing. You could have a whole army of things that are equivalent. One thing is still gonna be the worst. So that doesn't necessarily mean that oh it's the worst. It's awful. You never take it. I I think they're of questionable valuable in like a competitive sense, but like I just want to say if you like Slangors. This isn't just a, oh, I run and be fun. Um, I think they do have a few little things going for them people might not expect. So first thing, they're on 40 mil bases. So if they're not on, say, compared to Fiends, which is their main competitor, they're on quite small bases comparatively. They're a bit easier to kind of hide. The other thing is, like, and that makes them a bit easier to, like, protect as well. Um the other thing is, their main profile is two inches, whereas Fiends, their main profile is one inch. Slangors, yes. you can screen them with, say, um, you know, say, Myrmidesh or whatever. They'll be able to hit over the top of a Myrmidesh, whereas Fiends wouldn't be able to, except for their stingers. Um, so it's, it's something like, I, I don't see him, if you're going to run Slangors, I don't think you should run them as a straight combat. That's not how you should view them. You should view them as like this kind of little auxiliary unit that supports something else. You want them paired with like a demon hero to prevent pylons because the Slangors, if you've ever played against Doors of Cain, if you've ever played against the Snakes, Blood Sisters have this rule where, oh, you'll have infranchised on me, I can do all these more wounds to you based on how many moles are in my unit. Slangors have the same rule. It's not as good. It's on a four plus and you, you can't get as many per like for the points as Blood Sisters, but like it's a neat little rule. Um, so it's kind of, if you want to run Slangors, because like, they're awesome models, I think the way you want to run them, you want to run them uh, in support of something else, like behind the line, where they can tap things with their two-inch range attacks, and they can do um, mortal wounds as well over the top at the end of the flight phase. I like that like you little... tried. I, li I like that you tried. I think the reality is that Beast of Chaos players are very sad that there is no proper synergies between them and the first new model they've had other than the Stormcast dude who's holding uh, a dead Bulgore in its face. So I think those guys were excited about getting new models. They didn't get it. Hopefully we see an update so we can see some sexy Beast of Chaos uh, hitting the table. But... Um, <laughs> I appreciate that you tried to make people interested in Slangors. I would imagine that um, nobody has still bought. I'd love to see the record of how many sales Slangor have been made and, and how many hitting the table, because I imagine it's probably less than 10. 
I, I'd say there's probably a big disparity between Worldwide. bought and playing. <laughs> I'd say yeah. there's probably a bunch of people who bought them, but just not using them at, like in games, which is a shame. But I mean, yeah, as you said, there's not much synergies with them. Like, there's, even there's it, yeah, yeah, which is sure. it's odd. Whereas like Zangors, right. I think, have synergies, right? Yeah, like like yeah, uh, yeah. yes, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Kieran, this has been awesome. This has been very insightful. Is there any shout-outs other than to Slangors? Is there any actual real human uh, shout-outs you want to make at this particular point before we kind of close it out? Uh, um, uh, keepers of Secrets? <laughs> I'm talking humans. I'm talking real people. The Lords of Ruin might, might appreciate a shout-out yeah. at this particular point, not, not, not yeah, the Keeper no. of Secrets. <laughs> no, nah, but yeah. Um, well, first to yourself for hosting a great community and just doing all, putting all this great stuff for people to help them, like, like just learn to play and all this other stuff. And yes, I'm being a suck up. I'm sorry, <laughs> but I genuinely mean it. Um, but also, yeah, like just to my clubmates because all the time, like we all like we're all theory crafting all this stuff together. Like this isn't just. Uh, me and you hashing it out like we're always talking with those other guys we're always kind of figuring this out and um in general um because i'm here uh just the aos community in general um (laughs) because you're such a sucker (laughs) but genuinely like it's it's such a nice community and like (laughs) i i I just i love it like i love our community it's great and there's no like there's too many specific people I can name. That's why I want to say the AOS community in general. Because right. we are such a great group of people. Oh, you're such a nice person. So nice you won't even call out people individually. Karen, thank you so much for this insight. I hope people who have listened to this are feeling a bit more confident and excited about their book. Um, it is a cool book. It is a different book. Um, it's certainly a challenge compared to what it used to be. However, fear not, you didn't get Sylvan Um There is still a place for, for, uh, for you guys. But I think much like Cities of Sigma, Cities of Sigma didn't hit the top tables for a good six months while people were playtesting and looking at ways to kind of build the most synergized force. And I think this will take a little bit of time, but once you guys have your your um, your Sigvold, your, your Keepers of Secrets, you know, whatever units you want to bring to the table and you find these right combinations between demons and mortals, um, I can see Slanesh potentially uh, being a good threat. Uh, not saying they're going to be 5-0, and not going to say they're going to win the next GT, but um, I think they're still a very good army. Um, but you're going to have to practice, you're going to have to list tech, you have to talk to your peers. But Kieran, let's bring this home. Thank you for your time. Thank you for the acknowledgement. And thank you, everyone, for who's listened to this. Uh, we're going to bring this home. Peace out. Thank you. See ya. I hope you found that discussion valuable. If you did, give the video the old thumbs up. And if you have a comment or an insight, leave it in the comment section below. The champions over here are my AOS Coach Patreons and YouTube members. So you guys are bloody legends. Thank you for all the support. If you want to know more about the support programs, the links are below down here in the episode description, along with a link to the Discord server, so we can continue this conversation. Until next time, don't forget to name your characters and have a good one.